Welcome to the Nose Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today we have a special guest as well as the other two plonkers. Uh, meet, eh? Before we you introduce meet. our special you want guest, meet. let's introduce our normal two boring, I mean not boring, talented individuals, Mr. Martin Fearbold. No offence taken, mate. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the worst two possible people I could pick on at the outset of a two-hour podcast um, it's going to be three now. Fuck you. <laughs> Any other business, Terry? He's like, rubs his hands together. Yes. <laughs> yeah, let's get back to the beginning, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Plonkers. And Mr. Terry Chapindama. Hey, fight fans. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be a long three hours. Hey, fight fans. You know what I do. I lick them, I suck them, fuck them. <laughs> Hey, and this is to Frank's lawyers. Fuck you guys. <laughs> I'm going to see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the voice of Mr. Rob Tebbert. Hello. <laughs> From Boxing Social. Yeah, this is Rob Tebbert for Boxing Social. You know the rest. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. That's all right. We've been planning welcome, it for sir. months. Yeah, I think probably over a year. Yeah, long before. Shows how good our planning is. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Like we first wanted Rob when he was like the voice of the underground. He was he, he was a hardcore spokesman. <laughs> and now, now, now he's just, he's corporate Rob now. <laughs> so we've had to change all of our questions and all everything we wanted to say. Um, has anyone been doing anything interesting over the nah, weekend? Listen, I oh Terry, you're almost not here. I say that's a good place yeah, to start. Yeah, no, fucking hell. Like, managed to come back from severe alcohol poisoning. I uh, listen. Woke up. Honestly, I woke up That's and I was like, <laughs> what the fuck was, do you know, like normally you go out on a big one and you can kind of cope. And I was like, nah, this is, I'm, I'm in a bad way. Just is it one of those nights you've had to piece it back together when you get up? Or? No, no, I can remember the night. It's almost like I drank so much towards the end that mm-hmm. I'd got home and the shit just kicked in when I'd passed out. And I just woke up and I was fucked up. And I was like, I can't move. Never mind, pod- I can't fucking move. That's a good night. But I paid for the fucking crystal maze. So oh, I'm like, oh, I've, I wondered where that was going. Crystal. M- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, this was a mad night. Yeah, so, so I fucking pay for this crystal maze. Like, it's, it's all right in that, but not, not in the state I was in. First fucking ex- challenge to do is rolling around in this big fucking wheel, transporting balls from one side of a room to another. And you're there just like, I'm dying, man. This is not good. Just sweating like a fucking pig in its own juices and shit. It was fucked like, up. It's amazing you didn't just try and get locked in and ask for a duvet. I'd have done that at that point. Like, do not let me back out. Now nah, listen, they do that thing at the end where you have to collect all the gold tokens and stuff. And we got disqualified because I was just picking them off people's backs and just putting them in the bed. I was like, well, fucking hell, what did you want me to do? I'm there just hung over. I can't do even you, see the do fuckers you in the Like a monkey cleaning yeah, another monkey. Yeah, li- literally like a parasite. One hand there, one hand there. And I was just like... Well, what's wrong with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, thought, I thought they'd give me credit for that. So what do you win when you get these gold tokens? Nothing. But there was a there was a stag doing a hen do, right? They were there as well. 
And the guy came back with two crystals. And the Hindu came back with like 10 or 11. And I just said to the woman, I said, you can't marry a guy. He's not, he's not a provider. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you took it too well, but there's nothing he could do. Yeah, but who has their stag and Hindu? At the, the crystal same time, maze. at the same place, in the crystal maze on a Sunday. Oh, oh mate. Wow. Her, yeah. She shouldn't be, whoever it is, if you're listening. Her belly jiggle him. when she came down the stairs was epic. Like, I was just like, fucking hell, look at that meat. Meat. <laughs> Monsieur Tebbett, did you have anything exciting to report this weekend? Um, well, I... Since the man who hasn't looked into what Rob's been doing this weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that of any surprise to anyone? <laughs> no, I was in Manchester um, for the Usyk Belly show. Um, yeah, it's a good show, I thought. Yeah, had a good time. Had two hours sleep last night. Um, were you room sharing with Dave Allen? I room shared with my colleague Andy Pirwell. Oh, um, I like Andy. He's yeah. good. Yeah, he's all we'll right. Come on to Andy later, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, will we? Yeah. <laughs> well, Andy, <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> but no, yeah, so I was there um, last night, uh, worked until pretty late, which is why I'm nursing. It's kind of like a boxing over, I think. I'm kind of worshipping this cup of coffee because I haven't had one for a couple of hours and yeah did a few bits this morning anything to look forward to that's coming out in the next few days uh, I put up uh, so I interviewed Dillian White this morning um, Dave Allen this morning they're both out um, uh, all of the press conference so everything's out so far so um, back up to Manchester tomorrow um, which is going to be great because obviously travelling is brilliant Um <laughs> But um, yeah, so we'll we'll have more bits and pieces out tomorrow. It's time sensitive business, Terry. You have to get it up. You know, got to get them views. <laughs> got to get, get the views. Them views. Yeah, <laughs> them clicks. Yeah, he tells us about his highly productive weekend. The first thing we've got is oi oi when he talks. That, that kind <laughs> of shows. That just shows the levels that's between us and Rob. This is why we're not boxing social. <laughs> uh, mine. No, no, I've not. I think the most productive thing I've done all weekend is change my uh, wireless router at home. So, oh, you did allude to that earlier, yeah. And for anyone that's done that recently, you'll know as we progress through the years and you add more and more technology to your house, changing a router fucks up everything. It's almost like it's a scorched earth policy, isn't it? Like when your router goes, you're like, normally things help you, or like, but as soon as you change your router, it's almost like, well, fuck yeah, we're not going to help you. If you're a new route, there's not going to be no, like, you, it'd be nice if plug them into each other and they go, right, we'll just share each other's data. Give me a prime example, right? A ring doorbell, you know, those stupid little things where oh, yeah, I've got yeah. one of them, right? And it records people that, that ring on your door. And if you change the Wi-Fi, you have to remove that device from the app and then re-add it. So, so nobody's oh. come up, nobody's taken the use case through to the point of you've changed your Wi-Fi provider or your router. And so I was looking into this on Google and I'm reading various forums on Reddit and one of them says like the easiest way to do it is go into your router, log into your router and change the name of it to what it was before and change the password to what it was before and then just fool your your systems into thinking they're on... Yeah, that makes sense. Well, it doesn't make sense, does it? Like, why is it so fucking difficult? Actually, that that's how very... they spoof though, isn't it? That's how the army spoof like Wi-Fi hotspots. So if... If you're nefarious, what you'll do is you'll set up a fake hotspot and call it if. Starbucks Wi-Fi. And everyone just logs into and they just pull the data down off all the devices. <laughs> That's really stupid, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 
So if yeah, if you've got the time and the patience, so if you're you can do. If you're a terrorist, don't go on to Starbucks. Right, it just, it just reminds me when I was <laughs> BT um, open. No one can get on that anyway. I was in air, it was an airport uh, years ago uh, in America, and I'm going through just like I wonder if there's free Wi-Fi here. Going down it, which Wi-Fi do I go on to? And halfway down the list was FBI surveillance van. <laughs> I was like. Uh, <laughs> like, they're just kicking out their Wi-Fi to anyone. I don't. <laughs> what well, was it? Just open access? Uh, uh, I, no, I don't think so. Okay. Even if it did, even if it was, there's no way I would have just. Uh, imagine the password. Yeah, imagine the password was just one two three four. You're just in. <laughs> We're in. Straight into Pornhub. Some, uh, <laughs> or just Osama. You can't, Osama. You can't face. stop downloading porn from it. It's force feeding your phone. Oh. Um, yeah, well, I haven't had much exciting stuff this weekend. I went out Friday night, got drunk yesterday, recovering. <laughs> That's it. Yes, so that was dr- exciting. I'm not drinking that till fucking the end of the year. Although though. I did actually watch some boxing yesterday, which for me is actually different. Cash. Good work. It's, it's really different. Although you did text me saying, what's worth watching on the undercard? All of it. Yeah, you said nothing. I <laughs> so, said nothing because it cost about four pound eighty to put together. By yeah, that's right, you did. And so and I stand by that. So I didn't. Wa- I watched the TV program, The Heist, up until the bell you fight. I had to go and run my son's that's laptop. Charge is how casual I am. Over the other side of Milton Keynes, which is half an hour, thirty-five minutes. There yeah, back. isn't it? Yeah. I was just waiting for the right fight to go and do that. <laughs> I was like, ah, Anthony Crawler, brilliant. This is good news. <laughs> Uh, did it, uh, I saw something Andy Crawler wants to fight Lomachenko. That he's now mandatory to fight Lomachenko. What? Did you see this? And Were you at the press conference last yeah, night? Yeah, so I was at the press conference last night. So he's mandatory for the WBA, which is obviously held by Lomachenko. So um, oh. Herm was saying that there's going to be purse bids. Obviously, ESPN will come in with a big bid and Crawler will go off to America to fight Lomachenko. Didn't Hearn say verbatim this is the biggest payday for both fighters of their careers? I don't know. He says I'd, a lot of stuff. I'd read that this morning. <laughs> he says a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'd read this morning that he said it's going to be the biggest payday. Lomachenko must be pissing himself at that. Like, if you're telling me it's the biggest payday of my career is to fight Anthony Crawler. Yeah. What Brilliant. Other, what other money guys has he fought, though? Lomachenko. Uh, not, 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 yeah, I guess. The yeah. Linares is a big one. That Walters was a big deal. Let's not forget who Walters well, that's, was. That's like Prigandel. Was that's all like pre-SPN plus, though, right? So there's, but it's still, does that make a difference? I mean, No, but if you look at it for me, like, they still call Crawler Corolla over there, don't they? <laughs> Like, well, who the De La Hoya does. Yeah, well, yeah, Anthony <laughs> Corolla. I love that. But, you know, I, I'm not doubting that it would be the biggest payday of his career. It's just oh. like, that's me getting a, a Christmas bonus. And all I've got to do is walk to my car and then walk back in my house. <laughs> yeah. I've actually got to turn up and that's do any right. graft. <laughs> You've done really well this year, Martin. You've worked, those three projects you handed in were amazing. But we've got the big bonus coming up. All right, what do I have to do? Just make sure you go to the toilet. That's that's but, all you've got to do. Just make sure you shut that door over there. It's like it's, it's almost like that. That remember that Linares British tour where he just was like, "I just want four easy paydays. I'm going to bash up some Brits." <laughs> that was it, wasn't it? He just he just said, "I'm going to beat up on these Brits," and he did. To be fair, that Mitchell one wasn't an easy payday. No, it didn't transpire to be. Yeah, but it was. He's, he's done Mitchell. He's done Crawler twice. Twice. So that's and then he's done Campbell. But yeah, I mean, yeah, beat up a British guy, but in, in LA, America. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like, yeah, he's, he's done his old British tour, and now Lomachenko might go, you know, easy money. 
Uh, right, so we won't, we won't go straight into Quella. Um, I'm just going to literally go down the list that I, you sent me, which was... Uh, because you didn't bother watching it. Yeah, Neither exactly. did I on the whole, so... <laughs> <laughs> React poor versus Hyde. I saw bits of this. I know people are giving this fight shit on Twitter and whatnot. Me. But, but fucking hell, let, let's be realistic, right? you got two guys in the mid-20s, right? Sam Hyde makes a lot of noise up north. Him and Jack Massey are the guys that they look to in the cruiserweights. That's who they talk about. We talk about Chamberlain and Coley and so forth. They talk about Hyde and Massey. Fair enough. But Sam Hyde's an ABA finalist. I think he might, he might have even won. He's a good boxer. He's a guy that people would want to see win something. Richie's the same for London. He's a guy who started boxing relatively late. Everyone knows his story. Grew up on the Aylesbury estate and all that sort of stuff. But... This is what we wanted, right? We want someone who's the best prospect. That's what we're trying to figure out here. So I want a fight like that to happen. Now, whether it's entertaining or not, that's down to the two guys in the ring. But you could see, man, Richie was just hitting him and it was hurting him. But he wasn't for a few rounds, was he? Like, no. But for he, the first half of the fight, React Paul didn't turn up. And whether he froze, and like they cut to Dillian White, didn't they? You wouldn't have seen this, I guess, Flop. No, so I didn't, I didn't see it, but I did speak to Dillian this morning. I think... I don't, well, first of all, what did Dillian say when they cut away to him? Well, he just said, this was after maybe four or five rounds. Yeah. Dillian sat there and he just says, look, <laughs> like they, they were alluding to the fact that Richard wasn't doing enough mm. in the ring and Sam Hyde was controlling it. What would you do, Dillian? He's like, I just want him to get in there and start handing like, power shots, like mm. do the things we know he can do. Mm. And at that point, it snapped almost. And like Richard started doing that later on, like post that Dillian White thing. It's like he heard him. And was like, but, but oh, also, fuck, yeah. But, but, mm. but Sam Hyde's a big step up for Richie. Like in terms of just skill, forget experience, like, just skill level and what you're facing in the ring. That's a step up. So he's there trying to figure out, well, this isn't a Lithuanian binman. Therefore, I need to actually engage in the things that I've learned. And this is a problem of fighting too many bums too often in your career. I don't want to say bum in that disrespectful term. I'll rephrase that. So this is what happens when you fight below average fighters journeyman. to build up your record. I don't even call them journeymen because for me, my, my definition of a journeyman is someone like, and please forgive me at the Christmas do, but someone like a Wadi Camacho, for me, is a journeyman. He's a guy who, if your fight fell through and you needed someone who can box and someone who can give the main event guy trouble, you'd get Wadi involved because he can actually box. These guys that just show up and just walk in punch bags. And it disrespects the original term of a journeyman who was a guy that you put in with your prospect and he'd come out of that fight and go, you need to work on this, you need to work on that, you need to work on that. Then he'd tell the promoter, you've either got gold or you've got bullshit. That's what, it, for me, a journeyman is. These guys that they're fighting, they're soup cans. And now Richie's fought someone who's hungry as well. He's come over that hurdle. And then you're like, who's next? Give him a Jack Massey, maybe. Let's see if he can step up then. Yeah, I'm not sure what the plan is going to be for Richie going forward. Because he boxed on the um, the white-brown undercard <clears throat> at the O2. So, I mean, he has boxed on a good show in a good arena and stuff before. So, it wasn't like the first time that he'd that he'd fought in an arena like that or on a, I mean, a platform probably bigger, bigger fight, obviously box office as opposed to White Brown, which was just regular Sky, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I don't... But also, he didn't have his, his main man. Dillian wasn't fighting last night. So... Yeah. Does that make a difference to him? You know, if it's... I mean, I know... Well, Dillian, I know Dillian was... So Dillian was in the the change room of him beforehand because obviously he's now managing Richie. Yeah. And I think from what was sort of said this morning and, and even Dillian alluded to it in the interview that we did was I think he 
obviously a win is a win, but I think the the general feeling was that the kind of occasion might have got to Richie a little bit earlier. I kind of felt that as well. I've seen Richie spar a lot in the gyms, and I know that he's you know worked with lights wise at Chamberlain and and Dylan White, and I think being a step up and fighting somebody like Sam Hyde is very capable. And I think we're kind of getting into this point now with boxing where we're having like. The, the demand for boxing is so high that the, the demand to put prospects in with each other early in their careers to kind of get that acid test early is great. And in theory, that's brilliant. But you've kind of seen it now with Akoli Chamberlain. You've seen it in, in that fight. I think, there was there another... Umar Chelly? That was a decent Chelly. fight. That was a, that was a decent fight. Yeah. But I mean, like, fights that kind of... I wonder didn't that, live up to... Yeah, okay. essentially. So, like, it, it, it's great in theory that you, you're putting these guys in to find out who's better. But, I mean... I think we kind of have to be careful a little bit sometimes with with doing that too soon and maybe guys aren't able to show their best stuff. And I think what Terry said is right. We're kind of making a bit more of a gradual progression before you start matching guys against each other sort of earlier than potentially they should. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because you haven't got many people that fit between the the newer definition of journeyman. So to go against Terry's one, you know, the bloke who's won five, lost 45. There's very little step between that and then lads who have got winning records. Yeah, yeah. You know, because so many of them that are like 14 and 0 have just fought all these journeymen. And so there isn't anyone really who's like 7 and 7. Because they make a choice, right? Yeah, they, they make a choice. Either they're going to go on the road or they're going to be the home fighter. And this is the problem with having so many different organisations because everyone's trying to build fighters. But look, promoters carry a little bullshit on their roster. They know that. You could walk any promoter and go, look, here's a list of guys you work with. And <clears throat> outside of the top 10, the rest, of your, the rest of the kind of guys you just want to send out on the road, but their egos and stuff prevent them doing it. And that's what's killing boxing, is that we don't have that distilled pool of quality because it's like, well, can you sell tickets? And there are guys who can sell tickets in Essex. We know who they are. And they just show up and you, you would have thought they'd learned something in the four years they've been traipsing around the country boxing, but they don't. And that's frustrating as a fan when you, you have to wade through the bullshit to get to the quality. I got a question. For, uh, I, I thought I'd interweave these in. I was, but I feel this might be um, work of what we're kind of talking about at the moment. It's specifically for Rob. From, uh, I thought I said nobody's allowed to send in, even with guests, <laughs> no specific names. Yeah. Oh, I will let it off with a guest. Sorry. Anyone can answer this. Um, but Rob, why don't you... <laughs> um, when you do what you do, do you have to make a conscious effort not to give certain opinions on fighters in case they hold it against you uh, and it could affect possible interviews or uh, interactions? It's, it's very rare that people ask for my opinion on things. Um, I generally... That's why we wanted you. Well, yeah. I mean, like, generally, I, <laughs> I do the, the asking for opinions and stuff. I think, like, I think you have to be wary of it to a degree. Um, I tend to save that sort of stuff mainly for features if I'm going to write a feature piece, which I don't really get as much time to do anymore as I, I'd like to. But, yeah, kind of being an interviewer, you don't really have your own opinion impact on... on you know on the interview or, or or whatever it is you're doing but i mean i guess so yeah kind of as a general overview i guess yeah probably i know some people in the past have, have kind of i think craig with i think was it craig with i think liam smith or somebody like that he mentioned something and then 
they asked to do an interview and eventually it was like, no, you you said you, you said I would lose this or that fight. So, I mean, I know it does happen, but yeah. I don't think it really <coughs> impacts on my, my yeah, job. All, th- all three of you, presume, or yeah, at least you guys would have had some sort of interaction with this problem because presumably if you give a certain, any sort of opinion that somebody doesn't like, and you two, you two uh, mine, Terry, you've got lots of opinions about lots of different things. Has that ever come back to bite you in any way? Yeah. Fucking hell. Like, <laughs> not the most shocking thing I've heard, if I'm honest. But, but, but here's, here's the thing, right? I say what I believe, and it's stuff that I'd say to people mm. in a quiet moment, in a private moment. I'd say, yeah, I think this is true. It's, it's so, like, if you look at me and the drugs thing, so I'll bump into trainers that I know, and they'll go, mate, you're out of order saying that all boxers on drugs. Then I'll go, okay, work with me on this one. How many people do you think in the, run the 100 meters on drugs? Uh, 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 I don't know. And you're like, okay. <laughs> of all the top 30 fastest times, Bolt's the only person who's clean. Yeah, Everyone else who's run sub 10 seconds has popped for something. He's really clean, Bolt. He's so clean. When you're walking through the logic <laughs> and you say, why would they do something? And then boxers are there in the same gyms with the same strength and conditioning coaches. You're telling me boxers are there going, I don't want what he's got. It's absolutely crazy. And and then they go, oh, well, you know, maybe it's not everyone. I'm like, if you don't know who it is, then theoretically it could be any and everyone. Because, so I have these conversations with guys and it gets heated, but I've never been on here and said so-and-so is a dickhead. I've never said that. I've said, sometimes I've said he's got a horrible style or, you know, look, look at these northern it's guys true. and we how they box. We personally attack. Yeah, that's, that is true. It's, but, but you have to tread a very, very fine line because when you meet people, they're like, oh, mate, I want you to really hammer Hearn. And then you're like, at, at number one, I don't feel he deserves hammering. Or number two, shit, I might have to bump into him. Yeah. I'm accountable for what I say. So I have to make sure that the things I say I can stand behind. And, you know, if not, just get damn good security. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the stuff like a long, long time ago, I'd realised what I do and say. Like, I, I don't want to filter what I say, which I'd imagine, how many tweets have you ever written, Rob, that you've gone, nah, fuck up every word that. Yeah, I quite better delete that. And, and I've seen the ones yeah. you have put out. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't bother with that. I just oh, right. write what I fancy and I write what I think. Whereas I think for Rob, you know, I do it because I enjoy it and because it's a bit of a laugh. Rob's job is doing yeah. this. So I complete in the same way that people might criticize Coogan Cassius for not delving into the the underbelly of StubHub and stuff like that with Eddie. Yeah, who who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> who would do that? So I completely get why Coogan Cassius may not want to ask those follow-up questions that would make life particularly awkward. Because at the end of the day, if Eddie turned around and said now get out you're not coming back that's kind of his his job's on the line at that point so I get why someone like Rob or someone like Coogan isn't going to sit at home if they get a night off from the boxing there's a show going on you're not going to sit there and write like ah fucking hell this is terrible this is yeah sure I mean like but I I don't like I see what you're saying I don't let it impact on my opinion to a point where I think if I have a valid opinion and if somebody might not like it but I think it's valid I will still say it or I'll still put a tweet out I won't ever kind of there are times where I kind of want to, but I kind of stop myself and think like, mate, you've been a little bit of a dick and everyone, you know, we're in boxing, everyone is a bit of a dick sometimes, but like, like there are times where I'll go to do it and be like, yeah, that's probably not the right way to word it, but I won't, I won't withhold, censor yourself. Yeah, I won't withhold an opinion or not ask a question or something like that if I, if I think it might upset somebody, if I think there's validity to it, if I think there's, 
there's a reason or rationale behind it. That you can defend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or what I would normally do is I'll speak to the guy. Like, I've had friends lose fights and we've spoken about it. And they're like, you're going to mention this on the podcast. I'm like, I'm just going to talk about what, what we've said, obviously not revealing your secrets. And it's like, yeah, all right. Like, you'll talk it through and then you come on, you say it and you're like, can't really question that. But we have, like, obviously I have, so I have writers who put out pieces. Um, Craig. Craig. We also have uh, Paul <coughs> Lamb, a really good writer who wrote, Paul Lamb, Navi Singh, Emily Simcock, people who worked for me. I like Emily, at, for the record. Yeah, who worked for me at Behind the Gloves and they put out pieces sometimes and I don't necessarily always agree with what they're saying. But if they can, if they can kind of back it up and there's a reason behind them doing it, because I, I edit the pieces, I don't go through and go, oh, well, you know, I don't agree with that or I think, if I think, like sometimes they've they've crossed the line where they're not quite making they're they're making their point in the wrong way. I'll rephrase it or I'll speak to them about it and just say, look, you, you know, make your point in a different way. But if I think there's, I don't have to agree with it or I don't have to to, to sort of put it out there. And it's the same with questions that I ask people. I don't sometimes I'll ask somebody a question on camera. I mean, probably two guys would be Hearn and Frank Warren. Don't spoil this, Rob. We're coming on to this later. <laughs> but like, but like. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask him a question. I don't necessarily think what the question, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm asking a question because other people want to know the answer. I don't necessarily agree with it or, or what have you. But if, if I think it's valid and, you know, can elicit a valid response, then I'll do it, you know? Do you ever, all right, let's jump into some of that now whilst we're on the subject and Andy's, you know, delving into his phone looking for extra questions. <laughs> um. Peep behind the curtain. You won't like what you see. <laughs> Put some clothes on. <laughs> Are there ever times when you don't ask a question for fear of what I'd alluded to earlier no. about, um, you know, well, so, you know, say Coogan doesn't always ask the question that I would ask. And maybe that's because he doesn't think they're valid. And fair enough. Maybe he asks every valid question he thinks of. I'm not sure that's the case, but whatever. But are there any times where you stop yourself? No. <clears throat> no, not really. I think. But here's my example, right? No one's ever asked Adam Booth. Why Hayes so fucked up? No one. No one has ever said, Adam, why is this guy a walking bag of bones after training with you since he was 15, 16? No one has ever asked that. When will someone ask a question like that? Because, you know, all that, all that stick David got, nah, your toe, your Achilles, your shoulder, your elbow, oh, you keep pulling out of fights. Not once did someone say, this little man on the side here is accountable for how he shows up in the ring or doesn't show up in the ring. <clears throat> do you think, no one's ever done that. Do you think boxing suffers with a lack of exposure in that respect? I mean, you look at like uh, football, for example, national newspapers that will have basically garnered most of their cash in order to operate from people that buy newspapers for other reasons and then they donate a section of that to their sports sports section those people then independently scrutinize football and you hear them talking they'll make bold claims about about football and and look and do invest investigations and stuff like that what does boxing have like that because it doesn't seem there's not the same level in the national Twitter. sort of press of that it, there's not the same level of journalism so D does does boxing suffer from that? No. Boxing doesn't have the money in the reporting industry to be able to do it. So there are people like Rob, who's full-time, and Coogan, who's full-time. Yeah. Other than that, the national press don't have full-time boxing reporters. You've got someone like Bunce, who writes for the Times or whatever. But other than that... <laughs> or whoever pays him. Or whoever... If someone opinion. offered him 50p more, he'll write for the Mirror. <laughs> um, but, you know, other than that, there aren't people that are full-time... You know, 
think of football has pages and pages and pages every yeah. day dedicated to it. And and sometimes real scrutiny. You yeah. know, like the Allardyce affair and whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah but, but they really sort of dig deep into things. Whereas there's boxing... Only a, there's only a select few that are doing it full-time within but, boxing. And those yeah. ones... Is it really in anyone's best interest out of them? And I don't mean this about you, Rob, but if you ask me, is StubHub 100% like legit? There's nothing Congress going on within yeah. that. I'm not sure I could answer that without getting well, in trouble. All but it, but the, the example I sort of think is that you spoke about the idea of wanting to delve into things like this, and all that ended up happening was Hearn getting on an interview and going, oh, you see it's under a Transformers cover, and then just like, Puh, no, I'll never have to be that bloke again. No, but, but and it was a, just such a really sort of childish, re- petulant way of dealing with criticism. Like, it couldn't stand the scrutiny. It was smart, though. It, 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 told, it told all the Twitterati, you could be next. Right, but who benefited from that? What? Being told that you wank well, under well, a duvet. I get worse yeah. insult daily. All it did was, if anything, boxing suffered because... Anybody that thought that was a good thing, i.e., yeah, nice one, Eddie, show him, remained in darkness. And anyone who wanted that scrutiny didn't get it. Yeah, but here's an example. Look at football leagues, right? Football leagues is kicking lumps out of football at the moment. Neymar, 900 grand a week. Uh, Man City flouting financial fair play. And they're bringing out documentation. Why? Because the prize at the end of that is huge. That makes journalists' careers. To... To have a boxing equivalent, you would have to find promoters in bed with gangsters and maybe drug money somewhere. Something crazy like that. And I don't think that and exists in boxing. you never find that in boxing. So going back, because I asked Rob a question about 10 minutes ago. We never actually got Sorry, the yeah. Sorry. Um, so you've never had to like stop yourself from asking a question for fear of... I'm not going to be getting the invite to come back here. Again. No, I mean, I, I, I kind of... Ad- I addressed this... He jumped in. I, I don't know what he said. I addressed this... So... I was speaking to somebody and they they kind of, in my experience, I don't know anybody and I work in boxing full time and have done for 15 months or so. And I don't know anybody who has been banned and not come back ever. Like I, I couldn't name you one person. I mean, you guys might be able to, but I, I couldn't name it. So like, I don't have that fear because I've not seen it before. And I think like, again, it goes back to if you ask a valid question and you're kind of, and there's, there's different ways to ask a question. If you're asking a question with the intent to do harm and it's very obvious that that's what you're doing, then potentially you could run the risk of that. But again, I've not seen it happen. So I can't. I don't really feel that way about it. And I'm sure if I was overstepping a line or you know, asking questions in the wrong way or something that somebody didn't want to answer, I'm sure somebody would tell me. I mean, like various heads of media, everyone you know, got my phone number. They'd shoot me a message and say, look, don't do that, do this. It's never happened. And I think... It's kind of people I I think don't ask questions through ineptness, but, <laughs> like rather than rather than fear of not coming back. And I think it's sort of like it goes back to again what you said about like um there's a lack of full time journalists. So it's kind of like people are going to you know ask questions about Joshua Wilder and asking questions about like it's kind of quick fire journalism to get clicks as opposed to somebody like doping and things like that they're, they're, they're very nuanced subjects that somebody would have to sit down and really have a think about and then you'd like okay what could I ask kind of research it and how you would implement that into a structured interview and question you, which a lot of people either don't have the time to do it or just 
don't really <laughs> want to, not interested in that side of things. Because most of the people that would turn up at a press conference are lads that have got the afternoon off work and write for a website or whatever. Yeah, or and obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just like, wrong. but you know, it's not high on the agenda, I guess. And I think like. I think this this whole like oh you might get banned or he won't have you back or you blah 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 I, th- I think that's kind of yeah I, I've just never come across it so I think like people people hear that sort of stuff who maybe aren't there regularly and every day and and realise that it doesn't actually happen that often and that's the like, reason they say to Eddie Hearn what kind of jumpers do you decide to wear oh, <laughs> pounds a fucking pound um, <laughs> whatever is cool but yeah I mean. Maybe it's not about you will get banned, but I think it's maybe hypothetically. Look, if you are so, because nobody ever asks them, so nobody gets banned. But if somebody did start asking those questions, is there a risk, as you say, that you're going to get the whoever, the head of media? I think it's somewhat linked into what Terry was saying, as much as because there is no full time journalists that are supported independently of the sports in some respects. There's no reward for asking those questions, i.e. if you do get yourself banned, if someone in Rob's position got himself banned, then it's kind of like, oh, shit. Whereas if someone was covering it for a national newspaper and they got banned, then it'd be like, okay, well, we'll send someone else or, or, you know, we'll find another way to cover it and, you know, that sort of thing. But because we don't have that, it's like, it sort of links the two in, you know, some people won't bother. With all respect to like Boxing Social, IFL TV, Behind the Gloves, etc., you're reliant on that content from mm. those people. So all they'd have to do is say, you can't turn up. And that cuts the blood flow off, doesn't it? It's, if you can't get access to the big names, then you've got no video content to put out. Yeah, I, can't, I get that, but I, as I said, it's, just, it's, quite, it's a weird one because I don't, I don't really think about it. I just kind of turn up and do my stuff. And if I always kind of think if somebody doesn't like it, they'll let me know. And that's kind of really all I, as much as I ever really think about it. Like, okay, but, but then shift shift the focus from yourself more so towards boxing. And do you think boxing, do you, do any of you think boxing suffers f- without that scrutiny? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does it? Um, what? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't think. Judging what he said about football leagues, I'm assuming you don't think no, that. No, because at the end of the day, what what is it? We get to watch people punch each other in the face on a Saturday or a Friday, right? Now, it appeals to guys like us because we're looking for that. There's got to be something else going on. But to to average Joe that pays 20 quid for a pay-per-view, does he really care if his boxers are doping? No. Does he really care if Hearn's doing things he shouldn't be doing? I didn't want to libel myself there, but... No, I don't think they really care about that because they consume the product via a television, maybe via YouTube, and that is it. Whereas I think definitely in three out of four cases here, we consume the product in multiple dimensions, right? Like I train guys. Martin's there covering Steve's shows on a regular basis. <laughs> Rob's embedded in the world of boxing, you know, looking um, for, for, for the for the home runs. Waiting for and me. Andy's singing Sweet Caroline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't have a boxing show without Sweet Caroline. No, but you see or what I mean? So, so we look at it some sort of garage across thing, multiple dimensions. Grunge which is why thing or I don't know what it is. For us, the scrutiny is important for that reason. We see that there needs to be scrutiny. But the majority of people that consume it at the front end are like, scrutiny for But what? that's kind of what I was saying about with like people. And I don't mean that in a, in a disrespect way I mean ineptness is probably not the the right word for it to not sound disrespectful but like 
a lot of people who it's not their full time job. They are coming. They're they're essentially what I would not not casual fans. I mean, they have a, a vested a vested interest in in the sport and watching the sport, but they're not really looking to do anything that scratches very much beneath the surface. So, which is why I think that the, the, those questions don't get asked. I think yeah. it's more a case of what's topical right now. Let's ask about that. And that's just just through not being their full time job and not spending sixteen hours a day on your Mac and you know it's just. But but strangely enough, I'd have almost said if it's not your full time job, I can say what you want to say. Exactly, because, I agree with that. Because when someone says to me, "Why do you say what you say in the podcast?" I go, "I don't take a penny from boxing." So, what well, what do I stand to lose? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So somebody tweeted me last night said, "I can't believe Matrim give you press pass." I'm like, Matrim, don't give me press pass. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous uh, like, they won't even give me an interview <laughs> I wouldn't bother asking and I wouldn't care like but that's because I'll speak my mind about things and they, they don't I'd imagine like some of that so you look at the well, they clearly don't like some of that yeah. well at least the figurehead of that company has once demonstrated quite obviously they didn't like it so very true um, um, what do you make of press conferences because they're shit aren't I they I hate press conferences <laughs> I hate press conferences. The worst day to do media. Um, so I try and get all of my stuff done before the press conference. So when I know that a fight's coming up, I'll kind of put the feelers. I'm quite I'm not lucky because I've had to really graft to get like good contacts and connections. So if there's like, for example, White Parker, uh, I've done all of my interviews really before the press conference because press conference, you kind of like, you get three, four minutes to, and you've got 10 dudes behind you all trying to get in and, You've got the print media there. You've got photographers in the way and not in the way, but like doing their thing right in front of you. Spectators, teams, the fighters, they're starting to think about weight and things like that. So they're trying to get away from the press conference. So like I try and get stuff done beforehand and it is it is so overpopulated and so oversaturated, <clears throat> particularly online, that it kind of, it, it makes it really difficult to get anything substantial um, so I try and, and I'd prefer to I prefer sitting down with somebody and having a chat about what it is to have a chat about rather than shoving a camera in their face when you've got 10 people behind you because press conference I can't remember who it was I was chatting to a while back it's going to annoy me now they were saying press conferences are just pointless activities for journalists the actual press conference I'm talking about not the meetings you'll have in the corridors mm. afterwards but he said because you have a press conference and Eddie will fire or Frank will fire questions to that fight over there and that fight over there. And at the end of it, he'll say, right, any questions? Nobody asks a question because everybody it. wants it for their yeah. channel. And so nobody bothers to ask one that everybody can get an answer from. And so you just get sight like pin drops. Listen, there are too many channels. No, no one really addresses this. There's too many channels, right? And no one's being honest on Twitter and saying certain people just need to stop doing shit. Because it is. Why no, do they need to stop doing shit? Because... Is it harming anyone? No, no, wait, wait, wait. This is this comes to the point. When you have a, a mass wave of content being generated and it's trash, <laughs> that impacts the overall product, right? You, like, like Andy was saying about football, what makes football strong is that level of scrutiny. But then you look at who sits behind the desks in a football context. But then you have five million websites that cover football. Whether you choose to read them or not but, is irrelevant. Yeah, no, no, but, but like I said, look, you've got football journalists right by the time you've consumed all of that content at that level you're not really filtering down apart from at the very fine margins right so, so Which you, is are why you, you saying get there's not like, enough top tier journalism in boxing um or are you saying there's too much drops there's, there's, there's too there's too many hobbyists 
there's too many guys who are just online and you're like, okay, fine, you're online, you've got a presence. But really, what are you doing to enhance your skills? And that, for all the stick he gets, this is why I like Uma. Uma from IFL. This is why I like him because everyone's got an email from Uma saying, I want to get into boxing. Can you help me? Right? Every, everyone, I'm sure I, Sam Morales got one. one. Yeah. I've not. To be fair, <laughs> and, and, and so this is going back two if he, years. If he sent it to me, if he did, the fact that he hasn't sent one to me probably shows that he's learned at least a few things. <laughs> yeah. no, no, so, so, so if you look at that and, and the kid's grafted, now look at where he is. And then it's like, okay, now you've got a platform. Let's see what you do. So congratulations to him. Right? But I don't see others doing that. They're just happy enough filming stuff on their phone, posting it, and then going, I'm a boxing journalist. And then I'm looking, I'm like, are you really? And 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 because it annoys me because they get so much shit wrong. It's like if you'd actually just sat there and done your research. And what, what it does is it just creates a bullshit product and people retweet and go, Mate, well done, mate, you're doing your thing. You know those sort of bullshit platitudes you get on Twitter and you think, This is what kills the sport sometimes, man. <laughs> like it's what kills the sport. It like feels you should have to pay to tweet. No, you should have to pay to tweet. You should have to pay to post a video on YouTube. And all of a sudden you see all these suckers drop off. So I know, right. I know what you're saying. Um, we're Please going back tell to, me going then. Going back to Umar. Um, yeah, Umar does work very hard. And I'm he. when I was at Behind the Gloves, he contacted me. I mean, you see him at a show now. I mean, obviously being with IFL is very helpful for, for you know, being able to imp, like put that graft into practice. But he still he still does he gets around and 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 works hard. I think what you're saying is is right to an extent. I think a lot of people, not a lot of people, that's probably the wrong way. That's the wrong way to put it. But certainly some people, I think, do the whole online boxing thing from like a sense of look at me, I'm here with a fighter. Look at me, I'm this. It's it's vanity. And and from that point of view, in that context, I think that does that dilutes the product for for a lot of fans because you, you've got people there for the for kind of the wrong reasons and it's not to say that you know if you are quote unquote a hobbyist that you can't do it because you you absolutely can i started off as a hobbyist everyone we're all hobbyists yeah really like yeah. everyone everyone does it right so like certainly not from that point of view and you know if you if you can get the access and you enjoy it then you know why should you not go to it but i do think that kind of flooding and it's all the same content it's all yeah. exactly the same stuff yeah if and it's it, fluff without any substance yeah i kind of think it. like what did you what work did you put into creating that bit of content and that's not to say that you can't be good or like that you, you that you're bad at it but like why did you do it why did you think it was a good idea to do that like if that's the best you can do fine but like if 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 you can do better than that you should i think have certainly more respect for the fighters and the sport to, to put the work in and turn up and try and get certainly a different angle or or put something that you're interested in into what you're doing as opposed to just turning up and doing what everyone else is doing and getting a selfie with a fighter and then going home. How much- but there's the next thing though, and this is the thing that bugs me as well, right? You've now created a situation where no one chases a story. They chase the name. So how many times do you see on Twitter, I've got this coming up with this person? And I'm thinking, I know that person boring as shit well, what are you really going to elicit from them they're boring they don't do anything that's why they don't sell tickets that's why they're not pay-per-view worthy i mean they're not that great uh, but then that it, would be that would be a symptom of having people who don't who aren't totally uh, immersed in the sport i.e they don't have all that time to well, to, it's, to, it's not, it's, to delve into the, what no, stories you know what are it relevant it's, and they would chase the names this is what will get likes if i say 
and this isn't me saying whether he's a good fighter or not. I'm just picking a boxer at random, right? I'm doing an interview with Liam Walsh. You know, someone like, oh, yeah, yeah, tick, tick, his manager, his trainer might like that. Great, but is there a story for Liam Walsh? Is there something that hasn't been told before regarding Liam Walsh? Probably not. Ryan Walsh, probably not. So then you've got to ask yourself, can I do something that breaks the mold in interviewing these guys? And a lot of people don't put that work in. And that's what frustrates me. Because there are some great stories in boxing. There's some great stories of, you know, guys coming up or even just guys at the top or the guys that have fell off. Like, fell off, sorry, I said off. Oh. Look, go and find Keith Bristol or someone like that. You know, some of these boxers like Dennis Andrews, sit down and talk to them. What's wrong with their stories? Why have I got to see some small horn monkey get a bit of publicity when he's horseshit, he's done nothing, he will do nothing apart from sell 100 tickets every time. But then and some... you've got guys like Dennis Andrews who've really put work in, in this sport, in this country. And no one's knocking at their door going, actually, let's just have a recap of your career. What do you think of boxing now? And all these sorts of things. That's important. Who was the lad you tweeted about the other day that's out in America? I can't remember his name. Uh, Steve Woodall. Yeah. And you're saying, why do people interview small hall people when you've got Steve Woodall out in the States for a story? My question to that would be, what is Steve Woodall doing to help himself and get that publicity? Wait, wait, no, no, no. no. So, so number one, the reason I picked Steve was, it was brilliant because it was him and Ted Cheeseman were, I think it was like the World Youth Games, boxed together, right? Uh, there was someone else on there and it escapes me. And it was really interesting because Woodall was like the, the brighter light compared to Ted and then he disappeared for ages and no one knew where he'd gone and he just showed up turned pro in America went out that way don't know why none of this stuff but you're like bloody hell you had a few fights in America then you stopped what happened because he was super talented like potential GB potential Olympian that's the level he was at same as Ted and now you look at where Ted is and you look at where Woodall is you're like well, fucking hell there's a story there now could he do more to promote himself? Perhaps. I don't know what he's doing. But I'm thinking of it more of a, I'm trying to find a story that's going to validate who I am as a journalist. There's a story there. And I'm not an expert on journalism. I might have attended a few modules as a student. But that's what you look for. You look for the story. But on the other hand, most of these lads are doing it part-time. We've got to fit it around, you know, they're nine to five and what have you. And but why can't they find a story? Because, look, at the end of the day, there's so many lads that are on the small hall circuit. They don't get any exposure anywhere. Why should they? Like you just said. Be what, what are they doing for it? Well, the, to the use your own question. The amount of boxers I get contacted by saying, can I have an interview? Can we do an interview at some point? Yeah. For I what? don't have the time to do it, really. Yeah, yeah but for, for what? Well, you know. Well, I don't know. Because I don't get yeah. the time to do it. But, and, and, um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so the question works both ways. You say, what, what, what is Steve doing? I'm like, what's everyone else doing? No one's doing anything other than boxing. And we've discussed this before. That's why boxing content's generally shit. Because they do nothing but box. Mate, what, what did you do today? Yeah, I did three sessions. Do anything else? Soup kitchen, maybe? Food bank? Nah, I just went home and slept. Played my PlayStation. Yeah, interesting. I remember being sat next to you, Robert, at a show. And I won't say what show, and I won't say any of that stuff. Uh, because it might give away oh. some of the people that were boxing there. Oh, because he doesn't grass. <laughs> <laughs> He's a reformed character. <laughs> Frank's office listened to this. <laughs> well, they've already been told. They've already, Hi, been, told Frank. To, they've already been told to fuck <laughs> off by someone. This podcast. No, listen, I like I like Frank, but that edifice around him, not necessarily so. Um, you were saying, Martin? Yeah. So we were sat. Uh, Welcome next to podcast to one, social. Sat next to one <laughs> another at a show, and I won't tell what show it was. But you were. Uh, 
unenthused to be there by the end of it. I know exactly what show you're talking about. Um, carry on. And we were talking about, um, and you were like, oh, fucking hell, I've got to go and like, when I look at who's here, is it worth my time to go and do an interview with X, Y, and Z that's going to get like 40 views? Like, is that going to boost our product whatsoever? So how much do you have to put that balance in around the effort it's going to take around the number of views you're going to get? I know the show you're talking about. Yeah, um, I think I know it too. It was very difficult to get backstage in that, to even do any interviews. Um, it was the Haymaker show, wasn't it? Is that the one you're talking yeah, about? The O2 Indigo? Yep. Yeah, um, so on that card you had... <laughs> you slipped what? up. That's fine, <laughs> it's no problem. Um, so on that card you had... It was the Joe Joyce debut. Joe then. Joyce debut against Ian Lewison, yeah. Um, I actually... I didn't get much content that night because of the kind of the setup in the Indigo and, and we weren't able to get backstage. The only, not even get backstage, but like to, to do post fights. I think fighters were getting changed in the toilets. Yeah. Or yeah getting changed. It was out to the left of the ring. Yeah. So it, it wasn't it? so much. Um, wow. But there's a, there's a lot of graft. And this is kind of like shows are my least favorite part really of what I do because nine times out of 10, I'm live tweeting or doing a, a fight report or having writers who send fight reports. And then, you know, if, you, if you're trying to get a word with a fight, I don't, I don't like being one of those guys who turns up at boxing shows and misses the fights. Yeah. So I don't really like to spend that much time doing post fights at the show. But I mean, to go back to your, your original question of like the balance of, I don't want to turn up to a show. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I would have been like, ah, oh, I don't, this guy's not going to do anything for us. I'm not going to do it. Was I, I was I, okay, it was fair enough. Um, <laughs> so what? It, it was a while ago uh, in, in my previous employer. I think to be fair, you were behind the gloves at the time. Yes, yeah, so, so this, this was quite, this was quite early on. In it was them. Up, they made you do but, that. Um, they made you say that. But, I mean, certainly now. I mean, I'll, I'll interview anybody um, about anything. No, I mean, it's not I, true, Rob. Uh, I'm sorry. I was uh, uh, apart from Terry. I'll interview anybody generally. I mean, sometimes a small hall fight, and I'm not massively clued up on the small hall scene. I'll admit that I've just got so many balls in the air, and it's it's, it's difficult to keep a, a tab on all of it. But like, if a if a fighter comes up to me, and it's happened to me. It happens to me quite regularly. They'll come up. And ask me for an interview, and I'm like, of course, mate. Like, of course. And you, you have to. Sorry, Terry. Again, um, <laughs> these guys are not going to do big views. But I mean, I've certainly got to a point now where I I understand the sport a lot more. I understand kind of the power of of promoting or helping to promote fighters. So I'm so I I, I can't remember being that way, but I believe you if if you said I was. Um, but. I'm certainly at a point now where I understand what, what an interview can do for a fighter and we'll do that. And even if I don't know anything about them, I will say, look, can I have five minutes? Like, or will you tell me a little bit about your story? Who are you fighting? What show comes up? Obviously, I'm in a... I it, think to be fair on that night, given the difficulties of actually even getting to them anyway, I did that's that, an immediate lack yeah, of enthusiasm so the, the, I, I couldn't actually get to it. And I'd, I'd done the workout that week. I remember, so you had Tunji Agunia, um, Tom Ansell. Yeah. Um, Dwayne Sinclair Dwayne Sinclair didn't manage to get an interview with him at the workout it was at the workout was at Hayes Gym and I remember being there and I think it was myself um, James Helder from IFL was there and I think that was kind of it like for online people I, I did my point did my bit to, to interview everybody there and when we got to the show I mean the show I haven't been to a Haymaker show since this, this is the perfectly honest assessment of it because it, nothing was accessible. We couldn't do anything with anybody. And 
it was just very difficult. So maybe in a sort of that's kind of my way of thinking. But I remember, I mean, Tunji, I still speak to now. I and love Tunji. Yeah, such a nice guy. I mean, he starts doing, like, he's doing his own things and stuff. I remember at York Hall, probably about two, three months ago, I was trying to help him, like, sort out his camera, which is difficult for me because I don't actually know that much about using a camera properly. I kind Point of know. Shoot. Yeah, well, not, no, no, I set up all my own shots and stuff, and I know how to kind of what buttons do what to the picture, but I don't really know technical. Like, I can sort of point and like press the buttons and make it do what I want it to do but I don't really know but anyway to go back to it I mean I interviewed all the guys then and I, I will still stay in touch and anything that anybody ever does I'll always say to any fighter particularly if, if they say that they're struggling for for interviews or, or exposure anything I can do I mean I give away like free content all the time if some if a fighter asks me for something that's unmarked like workout footage guys who I've interviewed right at the very start that I'll still give stuff to now Lucian Reed for example he boxed on um he boxed on the cards in Leicester and he used something or there was something that was used on social media um that I'd shot for him and sent to him ages and ages ago when I was I was in the gym with him and Charlie Edwards and this is when Lucian couldn't get a fight and obviously Lucian is a very talented guy he's a really successful amateur really nice guy as well and I kind of I was there to do bits with Charlie Edwards, do some stills and some, I cut together like a promo thing for him. And I sort of said to Lucian, I was like, here mate, have this, try and get yourself a fight and drum it up and, and blah, blah, blah. And I've, he still uses like little bits of it now. And I Good. try, I try and do my bit. And if anybody ever, and any fighters who are listening to this, if you want an interview, contact me. It's not hard. Twitter, DM, no problem. I'll do yeah. whatever I can yeah. for Do you think it's anybody. a lack of boxers helping themselves in some way? So, I'm not going to name any because I can't really think of any. But just in general, look, if you were going to be, you know, there's a press conference in London, it would be beneficial to most, you know, under the radar boxers to get along to that and go, yeah. Rob, me and you now, let's yeah, I've, I, I, I've not said fight, fight, like do a video. <laughs> 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 well, I've, I've, I've said to fighters, um, I won't name names, but like I've said to fighters who have like connections with fighters who are on bigger bills. I'm like, are you going to come to the press conference? And they're like, oh, no. Nah. Nah. You're like, well... No, nah, I'm not going to that. Why not? Like, I'm in the gym, yeah? Come down Four to the press conference and, and, and get an interview with... There'll be loads of media there. You know, you can go down and you do this. And some of them come and some of them don't. So I think on kind of like a... It varies between fighters. But I mean, some fighters will will contact me out of the blue or um will contact somebody who knows me and, and get hold of me to, to do something with them. And then other fighters just don't really. So I guess, yeah, so, some fighters could do more. Just turn up. I mean, Umar Sadiq, he's he's all over social media all the time. He will contact and he will do this and he does his vlogs and, and the, you know, he's out there trying to make things happen to raise his profile. <laughs> to some people, that's not important and they would rather be in the gym, work or doing whatever. Each person's different. But from like a, from my perspective, that's obviously adding value that, that I could be adding, but they're doing it themselves. And it's easier for you then because now you've got content to engage with. So when you interview the person, you're like, well, actually, look, I've got this reservoir of content that I can use as a basis for a discussion. Whereas you get some boxes who are just off the radar. So you kind of sat there like, so tell me something. And you look at that and you go, you don't get it. Because look, I know what a training schedule is. I do. I know how much time a boxer should have available every day on a weekly basis. It's not hard you can do something to promote yourself. There should be a slot. I say this to trainers. There should be training, rest, self-promotion. You should be balancing your week that way. Uh, probably in that order of priority as well. 
but there's enough time to do this stuff. So I remember I kicked out, I kicked out of just a video of Fitzroy Lodge, did it in the time it took to get from Southwark Station to Baker Street. I just lined everything up, got the cuts in, put a track behind it, sent it out. Did you do that on your phone? Yeah. Splice. Nice. Because that's a good little video. Yeah. Splice. That's it. Splice and all the content I've just had on my phone for ages. You just pull it all down, bang, it's out. Is it called Splice? I'm downloading it. Yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I think it is very important. But I mean, to go back to your question, Mike, I mean, so I spend some time at McGuigan's gym. And uh, they've got like Jack Hillier, who's like, I think he's now 2-0 and or 3-0. and um, I mean, I'll do an interview with him. And, and you know, Jack is, is a very nice young guy. He's not been in front of a camera before. But I've done like, I think the first time I interviewed him, I did 20 minutes. And what people don't really understand with doing an interview is you do 20 minutes. But then you've got like 40 minutes to render. You have to make a Twitter clip to put out. You have to put a Facebook post out. You have to, you do all of your posts. A 20 minute interview takes like an hour and a half, hour and 40 if you're doing it quickly to upload, to get across all channels. But I would never say no to somebody because it takes the time. And it's important for them. And I mean, I know Jack and I know his stable mates and, you know, it's important to everybody and it's it's good to help people along. And, you know, it's good to build relationships. I mean, I was in a completely different. I was in Glasgow last week and I interviewed Kenny Adams who's worked with like, who's Nunito Dene's trainer from last week. He's worked with 26 world champions. And I interviewed him for 38 minutes. And I knew while I was doing this interview that I could be running around grabbing Ryan Burnett or trying to go and get a word with um, Ryan Martin or somebody else. Like that. And I knew, I think it's done like 500 views on YouTube. But like going back to kind of like, I know his story and I really wanted to tell that part of his story. And I could be doing, running around doing other things that are you know, going to do more views or, or potentially... I mean, he's got a great story anyway. You would hope like the hard... He's worked with Edwin Valero, Panel Whitaker, Evander Holyfield, these guys. But like, I would never... I would never turn down an interview with somebody because I think something else will do better. If I think that's a story worth telling, I'll do it regardless kind of quality over yeah yeah and it's i think it's important to kind of have a good balance of and you don't want to be a guy who just chases names and chases big stories and stuff because i think that that kind of gives you a narrow outlook on the sport i think you become a better well-rounded boxing fan first and foremost i think that's almost where we were talking earlier about the lads that kind of you know they might go there on their lunch break at work or you know take the afternoon off they're the ones that will turn up predominantly at like a matchroom press conference and try and get Dillian White they'll try and get the the big names and I don't blame them for that whatsoever like if you're going to take your time and that's the only time you've got available to go and do it but that content is going to be a regeneration of stuff that I'll see elsewhere whereas what you're saying there it makes a lot of sense in terms of stories we may not see elsewhere um Okay. How, mu- how much pressure is sorry? Andy. No, 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 no. Go for it. Off. No, no. I'm <laughs> like, I'm trying to drag this train back to the rails, but no, keep going, keep going. If you got how, how much is the pressure to get it out first? Not penis wise, like the uh, video. Um, it's because I always have this thing that, like, say there's a press conference, I don't buy into the clickbait of what's mm. put on the tweet, say, of mm. like Hearn Roar on Dillian White and blah, blah, blah. But there will be times, and I prefer to watch your interviews most. I'm not saying that because you're here to blow smoke up your ass. I couldn't give a fuck about that, really. But like, I prefer to watch yours because there's a different angle, typically. But I'm not going to watch two Eddie Hearn videos. Mm. 
And so if I'm sat on Twitter and I see that IFL have got theirs before yours, then I might well watch theirs because I don't know when yours is due out and I've got 20 minutes now to watch something. Yeah, so that's like, understandable. I mean, like, if it's between being first and being the best and being the better product, I would always choose being the better product. Fair enough. But I would want to be both. Yeah. Always. Um, and I do put a lot of pressure on myself and, and Andy, my colleague, and, and people who kind of work for me or work with me or have worked with me over the period of time that I've been in boxing to be first and be the best. And that's kind of just my way of thinking and the pressure that I kind of put on it. But I would always, always, always choose to be a higher quality product than just to get it out first and package it up fast uh, and get it out. So then here's my question, right? How important is brand positioning? Because I look at IFL and if you look at IFL's sweet spot, it's when, and specifically Coogan does interviews with guys that he has a long relationship mm. with. So the Bellew interview last night, yeah. really good. Just let Tony say what he wanted to say. He did a great one with Fury, uh, where Fury had the blue shirt and the cap on, which I still think is one of the best boxing interviews, like in terms of just being honest. And he's done some decent ones with Hearn as well, where he's brought something out of Hearn because they know each other mm. so well. So you almost see, for me, that's the IFL brand positioning. It's when you really want those moments, those rare moments where the guards let slip, mm. you go to IFL. And then it's almost like, okay, Behind the gloves, yes, you're not there anymore, so I can say this. Behind the gloves just feels like the trashy cousin. It's just, you know, crash, 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 crash. That's what that feels like to me. And then I'm also going to say, so where does boxing social sit on that landscape? Well, I think um, I agree with you first and foremost with regards to Coogan has a long-standing relationship with with a lot of people that I just don't have because I've just not been around for as long. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> Apart from with you, Terry. Um, <laughs> Still refuses to interview. Yeah. <laughs> for that very reason. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's not working in your favour. <laughs> um, but I mean that's just something that I kind of that's just something you have to live with. And like when I when I started off in in reporting or, or certainly covering boxing, kinda used to look at it and be like, Oh well, you know, what can I do to to kind of bridge that gap? And I think over time, certainly since I've been at Boxing Social I kind of step away from that, and I think that we are a, we're a different product. And yes, he can he can he can get you know the guard load, but sometimes I, I kind of look at my my lack of long term relationship with certain fi uh, certain fighters or promoters as a, as a positive thing. I don't have that. We're not mates. I'm not mates with probably ninety nine percent of the people that I interview. It doesn't mean I don't get on with them, but we're not friends. I'm there, you know, I'm there to get a good interview that's you know, good quality content. That if benefits I, you both. Yeah. If I can make you look good in the process, let's do it. But like let's make great let's make good content. But like with with regards to you know Coogan, the way he has his obviously he has a different style to mine, but that, that comes over time with being relaxed. For example, I mean so the interview I did this morning with Dillian White, I've got, I've come to know Dillian White better as time has gone on since I've been, and it's become a bit more jovial and a bit more jokey. And like Craig, Craig Scott, um, boxing socials, Craig Scott, if you're listening, Sam, um, <laughs> he, oh, wow. he, um, he messaged me earlier and the interview that I did with, with Dillian, we kind of got to the end and Dillian was kind of joking and he, and he kind of said, you know, there was there was similarities. It's obviously not the same because Coogan and, and Dillian have a far longer like tapestry of, of working together. But there was he has 
become a bit more relaxed. But still, I don't want to to go down the we're mates route. I get on with Dillian like I get on with a lot of people I do interview, but we are there to do a job and I do want to get a, 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 a piece out that serves a different kind of purpose, really. It's not like a... But, but that being said, I mean, you know, if we can... Obviously, I'm not there to, to be a school teacher and try and get... And try and suppress people's, you know, natural way of being. It's just I don't really have that longer that longer relationship. So I kind of try and just suss it out as I go along. And if we can get something good out together, then it doesn't really matter how long we've known each other. Yeah, will you guys ever, you know, get Porky's Corner on your platform? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well I, considered, no. I, 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 I guess this kind of goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about earlier. Um, I'm not going to say which parts of his his stuff that I agree with and which parts I don't, but there are some that, some things that he says that I agree with and there's some things that he says that I don't agree with. But again, it comes down to how you deliver those questions and what your intention is. Are you trying to make somebody look bad or are you trying to, to elicit a response where people get information? If you're trying to make somebody look bad and it's obvious you're trying to... I'm not saying he does that, but if you're trying, if you're trying to make somebody look bad, then... You, where what's the best that can happen oh i made I'm, again i'm not saying he does that but oh i made her like a dickhead or i embarrassed frank warren like what what purpose does that serve you're not you're not providing information you're kind of just are you doing it for a pat on the back to, well, look, to, look, to defend him if you've noticed he's i mellow. wasn't attacking him no 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 but, but, but <laughs> you know got to clean him up here he's mellowed because if you think about how we started as a three, I think we were more willing to go for what we thought the jugular was. I think if you go back to the 2016 podcasts, we're quite savage. But I think what happens over time is you realize, yes, that makes people laugh on a Monday morning and you get the retweets and stuff. But what they actually love is, is the content. Yeah, I agree. Well, so, and if you're going to make, if you're going to attack somebody, it needs to be well considered um, uh, attacks based on, on fact. Yeah. Rather than reason. Yeah. Rather than just out of the blue slander. Because otherwise people go, ha ha, that's funny, but I don't take these guys seriously. What, yeah. what purpose on you. does it serve? Like that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of mm. it, you know, like, yeah, it's funny, but what did we really learn other than, you know, well, it, refle- it reflects poorly on you, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and then like, people don't tend to respect you as much and that's for the content you generate. This is, again, like goes back to, is it a well-considered question or opinion? Can you back it up? Is there a reason for you to ask this? And what are you trying to elicit? Are you trying to, are you trying to piss somebody off? If you're trying to piss somebody off, why are you trying to piss them off? Like that serves no purpose. Yeah, if, like, if you look at Jeremy Paxman, for example, he's never been anyone like when he used to interview people. He's never anyone's best friend, and he was like acerbic and acidic the way that he was attacking people. But you always thought to yourself, he's going somewhere. He's trying, even if he's trying to rile them up, he's trying to get something out of them. It always seemed to serve a purpose mm. for which he was there. Was for. it Michael Howard that wouldn't answer his question for <laughs> ages, and he just hammered him on the same question? And Michael Howard just you four-eyed suit-wearing Jeremy, take it down a few notches. <laughs> but I think you do that in your, and I'm not saying with the same acidity about it, but you, some of your questioning lining. 
is clearly to give somebody enough rope sometimes to hang themselves. <laughs> um, it's another way, isn't it? Yeah, it's another way. Yeah, so it's not doing it viciously. It's not doing it horribly. It's just it's asking that first question, which opens the door up for them to give away some information, hopefully. And if that information... It's almost like being a boxer, I guess. You're trying to make those openings that you can then jump in and say, ah, brilliant, right, now we're going to go down that route. Now, like, do you purposefully do that? Is that a a trained skill set or is that um, just a, a way of thinking? I don't know. I think sometimes I like, this is not going to sound great, but I liken sometimes interviewing people to the art of interrogation, really, where you're, you are trying to kind of maneuver the conversation into where you want to go. But that kind of, that gives you the, it gives you the, the basis to, to, to get something out of them rather than just attack someone and put them straight on the back yes. foot. Yeah. yeah. So you, you know, essentially you're trying to coerce them into having a conversation rather than rather than have the, the guard put up straight yeah, away this then... is not you know it's not a Q&A an interview shouldn't be a Q&A I think that's where a lot of people kind of kind of go wrong it's you either have like a, a regimented list of questions and it, there's no relationship so somebody's not going to open up to you on anything they don't want to talk about sometimes and it's different with different people oh I will get something out of somebody that they don't even really necessarily know they've given away and that's kind of I don't know, as I say, it's kind of like just trying to find the balance of asking what you want to ask and and also giving them opportunity to talk and the two will tend to overlap if you do it right. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't consciously do that. I have sort of subjects to, to talk about and, and, you know, you kind of think, well, he might answer with something like that if he was to answer with something like that, then maybe I'd ask something like this. But it has to be about kind of feeling your way through an interview. You have to be able to listen and respond. I don't think enough people listen Agreed. to the answers Agreed. that are given. I think people have questions that they ask and regardless of what anybody says, they move on to the next question. Yep. If you listen to what people are saying to you, then you can respond. It's listen. I think people may or may not know who are listening to this. I come from an acting background. Improv. You listen and respond. Some You listen to what people are saying, you digest the information and you come out with a reply. I don't prepare questions because I follow boxing all day, every day. So I kind of know generally what's going on. So I can just have a conversation with somebody with the general sort of thought process that I'm, you know, this is kind of where I want to end up. And you ever got on the train home and gone, fuck, I should have asked yeah, that. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that, a lot. Yeah, I mean, and that, that that's kind of, I guess, the flip side. But, but then it, it comes down to a point where you sometimes there'll be a question and I'll think, right, oh, I'm onto something here and I can ask this next. And then they'll go off on a different tangent. And if you ask that question, you're asking it because you're, you're, you want to ask that question. Then it comes away from being, a, I, I, I sort of say, it's very cheesy, but I like to say to people while I'm setting up, because I think an interview can be won or lost as it were, when you're setting up your camera, it takes like 30 seconds to set up your camera. And if somebody if, if you lose people while you're setting up, it doesn't work. So I kind of sort of say like, well, we're just having a chat and our camera happens to be here. It's kind of one of the things that I always tend to say. But if you, if you think and you had, right, I really want to ask this question and they've gone off on something and you're not listening to what they're saying, but you could have asked something that could have led to something else, but you're so hell bent on asking this question that you force it in there, you break all relationships and it all just, it comes crashing down and then you, you go into Q and A and you, you get the backups and people, people's defenses go up and then nobody really gets anything. 
Anyway, back to Sam Hyde, Richard Reactor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, we we didn't actually touch on his eye, did we? I've Sam Hyde's eye. scratched yeah. that off. It, it yeah. reminds you, know, you when you go to like a you, know, you go to like a fun fair when you're younger and you got those mirrors. It kind of looked like his face was in one of those mirrors. Like, yeah, oh, it just gosh. didn't look real. Have you it's, seen it? Just, no, no, it was it was bad. It was bizarre. The Reactor caught him with that right hand to the left hand side of the face, and you could see it on the slow motion replay. Yeah, yeah. It was almost instantaneous from that right hand connecting through to the swelling starting. And Reactpool hadn't really shown that power up to that point. And I know there were stories about Reactpool being able to ice people in gyms around London, but you hadn't really seen it up until that point. And when that punch landed, it changed everything. Obviously, it changed everything. But the, the instantaneous impact of the swelling starting, and then within 30 seconds, it was big. And within... A minute, it was huge. And I sat at home thinking, Joe Gallagher, just throw that towel in. You like, kind of never really see something happen so quickly, like a swelling ooh. happen that quickly, unless it's a head clash. Ooh, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's ooh. bad. Yeah, it's typically a head it's, clash. It's a head clash. So you get like a real bad yeah. clash of heads and then, then swelling like that will come up. But from a punch... It's very Andy, rare. That came up in a no, minute. No, it, it's, it's, that's what happens Sam, when, you've got when, to that tennis when bone your head. connects on bone. Yeah, so again, more ten, ten ounce gloves, more punching properly catching you on that, that bony bit there, boom. Body's defense mechanism straight to swelling and you're just like... But even then, it kind of like, usually it's sort of like a somebody will start taking shots for like consistently over a couple of rounds and you're always starting to swell up. This was like, he's not swelling. Oh my God, he's got two heads. It was like... You looked at that, that guy from the Goonies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One-eyed one Willie. <laughs> no, no. Sloth. Hey, you Sloth. guys. Yes. Hey, you guys. Um, yeah, but it was the instantaneous nature of it. And, I was hoping Gallagher, I thought he took a little bit too long to throw in because mm. at the end of the day, you've got two rounds left after that. He wasn't going to survive another six minutes mm. plus the minute and a half left in that round. As soon as it became apparent, you were like, oh shit, Joe, just please chuck that in. And also, um, when, you, when you've got an injury like that, it leaves you susceptible to other shots as well because you're now favouring one side. You don't want to get hit on your yeah. massive swelling on your face. So it opens you up to being knocked out in other ways. And Reactpool did what he should have done, which is focus yeah, most yeah. of his attention upon hitting that. Uh, but wow, like that man must have some incredible power to do that in... It wasn't one punch. <laughs> it wasn't a sustained... No, oh. I think he, he's a strange one. So... If you said top end power, he's probably not on the list. But if you said someone who can deliver ninety percent of like boxing, let's put it like, let's just say there's a peak power output for cruiserweight, right? And that might be whoever Gassiev. Peak punch power might be Gassiev. Kudryashov. All right, we'll go with him. Richie might not be up there, but he'll be within five percent of that but consistently mm. across every shot. He doesn't favour shots. Uh, you watch him when he works. And I know because he used to spar John Pilata a lot and I talked to John about him and John's like, all his punches are just heavy. You feel every one of those shots, which is why first podcast to touch on Richie, us maybe. And I said, but even before he had turned over, I said, this is a guy that people need to get behind because... When he cracks it, when he cracks his whole thing about pro boxing and all of that, he'll be scary. He'll be really, really scary. Rich is actually somebody. So I did, a, I did twenty five. One of when I kind of first tapped into like, right, I really want to do long form sit down interviews. Um, cause I spent some time in Miguel's. I don't really spend that much time there anymore. 
But I did like a 25 minute interview with Richie at a cafe outside where we kind of, and you know, I like Richie a lot, but I mean, I mean, obviously he's just boxed on pay-per-view, but then no one had really heard of who he was, but Richie, nice guy, big puncher, you could do with the promotion. And it was like a, it was good because I was kind of new to it. He was kind of new to it. And we kind of sat down and did like a, a whole thing that wasn't of much value to, to what I was doing in the end, but it kind of, it worked nicely to get that, that nice balance. And Richie's, somebody who's got now a great opportunity smart is, very smart guy like all the, such degree, a lovely fella as well Richard. Yeah. a few boxers with a degree yeah and and remember he's got he's got that support from Ike Latif as well re- like well when night. you get that sort of relationship with like an Ike Latif and you know that he will buy tickets when you perform in London you're always going to go on the matchroom show it just reminds me of last night that commentary. I, I, what about Bellew's tattoo? No, no. About Usyk. Very intelligent man, Usyk. I was expecting to say that he'd studied at like some uni- Kiev university and he's like, very intelligent man, Usyk. Likes to solve puzzles. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, writes poetry as well. Yeah, like, writes yeah. poetry and likes to solve puzzles. I mean, that doesn't mean he's good poetry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then he likes to solve puzzles. Are we talking I mean, one of those what? little nine square pieces where there's only eight squares in them and you've got to keep moving them around till you make the picture? Like, is that the level To be honest, talking- what I thought to myself was, it, it instantly, what made me laugh was instantly, I just imagined him like, yeah, well done, well done, well done, Alexander. You had a great session. Thank you. I'm going to do Sudoku. <laughs> well, you, say, the- you say that because he, he trains under Anatoly Lomachenko and they, yeah. they do some crazy stuff, man. So they do like... So Lomachenko will do like a, I don't know, like a, a, a bag session and then he'll sit down and play chess or he'll do like a, a pad session and then they'll they'll sit down and do like brain games or juggling and things like that. So like Usyk kind of, he is it. Yeah. And it's, it's all like brain, brain stuff. It's very, there's a, there's I a mean, that instantly is more insight than I got from the commentary on Sky, which was likes to solve puzzles, which sounded farcical. <laughs> and if he'd have said he combines, because uh, it wouldn't have taken that much more time. Very interesting guy, Alexander. He, he, you know, he likes to solve puzzles by, or he likes to incorporate things like chess after a heavy bag session. Something like that. Takes, what, three seconds more. And it's like, wow, this guy's on his research. Not, you know, likes to do the crossword in the Sunday <laughs> Times. <laughs> But yeah, anyway. Um, Ricky Burns? Ricky Burns. Versus... Mm. I didn't really watch it. Um, I, Cardinals. I, I'd heard rumours he was meant to be boxing in Kansas. <laughs> he was. Yeah, he was. And then uh, Cardo was meant to be fighting Cordina. Cordina picked up an injury. And so I think the stuff with Burns was like, well, you could fight in Kansas and it's a kind of a tick over fight. Sold oh. out. Did you know Kansas is sold out, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> That's his IFL interview the other day. And at the end of it, like 10 seconds worth, when they talk about this Kansas show they've got coming up in America, and Herm just puts in like 10 seconds worth of like, yeah, it's nearly sold out. It's going to be buzzing. Absolutely amazing atmosphere. And that's it, like end of the interview. So I was like, right, okay. Matchroom's website, have a look through. Buy tickets to the Kansas show. Brilliant. I'll go and have a look. Honestly, like 75% of the seats are still available. <laughs> so I just screenshotted it and, and tweeted it out. But it's just a standard <laughs> shit. They're like... Wait, 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 wait. We've got to put that to the Rob test. What were you doing that for? Who were you trying to piss off? Were you trying to piss someone off? What did that really do in the end? <laughs> well, it exposed yeah, a lie. Martin. What does it really do? I like... 
to not watch the think... world burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, but he could basically say anything he wants if no one scrutinises it. Not that it's my job to hold him accountable. It really isn't. But if he says shit that's so easily disproved, <laughs> then you've got to expect somebody's going to hold you accountable. Yeah. And I hadn't seen it from elsewhere. It that's took me true. all of 15 seconds to go onto Matrim's website, buy tickets to that event and go, fuck, what? <laughs> you can't just say that. It's like me just arbitrarily walking out in the road and going like, oh, my Prius does 300 miles an hour. Let's get in. But, but no, no, no. But we, no, it doesn't. We said this last week. Don't right? worry about it. Oh, sit on your Transformers cover. Do you think about my Prius? <laughs> Fuck off, mate. 300 miles an hour. But, but it's, it's, it's down to that same, that's that same trick of anchoring. It's the same trick of anchoring. If we say Rob Tebber's the best video journalist in Britain right now, yeah? There'll be some people that would buy into that straight away. They won't even challenge it. Yeah, Rob Tebber's the best out there. That immediately that's more people than might have thought it 30 seconds before. So you've already done that. So there'll be some people... So you're welcome, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, you very- Thank you, Terry. You're still not getting an interview. <laughs> twice. <laughs> Fucking twice. You're going to get absolutely filled in when this shit's done. <laughs> Straight. So personal. But no, but no. So, so we've so- got our interview tomorrow, right? <laughs> we did one. That's, what, that's Mine, why I, did, I didn't tell you that. That's Mine's Wednesday, right? <laughs> Just, just, just wait till Boxing Social does fucking it. it'll just be, be all porn get, videos on Boxing Social <laughs> just hacked it's gonna be my mission to, to get Starbucks an interview before Wi-Fi. Terry <laughs> no but look that's what Hearn does well yeah? Hearn will sit there he goes 100,000 people are gonna watch this fuck it <laughs> the guy who challenges me probably has five friends yeah sold out he you can't right. get tickets no. <laughs> and, 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 and then he will dare you to, to go and do that and then when you go actually no look I had a look at this wrong like, oh, how sad is he look you're there on your own internet doing this Hearns, he does that deliberately or you get people on Twitter going oh well you, you say you can still buy 75% of the tickets and I'm like don't be stupid he said it's sold out why would he lie yeah <laughs> uh, I have no <laughs> Why but, but, but would he possibly it was, lie? It was like when someone said Joshua made 30 million from the Klitschko fight. And then, I, you know, when you just rudimentary do the numbers in your head and you're a bit like, okay, mate, Joshua got 30 million. So, like, what did everyone else eat? Like, what did everyone else get then? No, I don't know, mate. I just know Joshua got 30 million. All right, mate. Well done. Well, you, you. you actually did the numbers at the time on that podcast. Just in you? my head, I was like, 90,000, average price of 200 quid. It's about. 18 million just on that gate pay-per-view probably did about a million if you believe Hearn's numbers 20, takes you about 38 million you're like well Sky need to eat Matchroom need to eat the opponent needs to eat I, where's the 30 million but then you're just like ah fuck off um, have we actually covered Burns card or no. any depth it's a fucking pointless fight isn't it, or it was, I don't know like you gave me the agenda Ritson took his soul <laughs> no to be honest look Ritson took Cardle's soul and Burns just used it as just a nice little bit of Christmas money. Cardle's kind Burns. of getting has got to a stage in his career where he's kind of paying the price for he relies to, he's relied certainly in the early stages of his career on too much head just just head movement. Doesn't have really his hands up. <laughs> I love no, that. No, no. From like a defensive point of view, he's, he's like certainly early on in his career, he's like very nice to watch, pleasant style. But he's take he's now been in too many wars and, and he's taken too many shots. And I think that kind of showed up at the weekend where where Burns, who's still he's not. I mean, I can't remember the last time Ricky Burns knocked somebody out. (coughs) But it kind of showed that Ricky Burns, while not, I think it's fair to say, he's not the fighter that he he once was, is still 
certainly at a level where if you're fighting against the guy who has now taken too many shots, I mean, you mentioned the, the Ritson fight, but he's certainly taken shots before that. When you put those type of guys in against each other, Burns lives the life and he's still, I mean, he was, I think, doing a run this morning. So, like, he's... he's he didn't have a fight last night. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you see, when I hear stuff like that, I'm just like, this is dumb. That 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 takes years off your career. That doesn't add. Uh, I don't know. Ricky's like early no, it 30s, doesn't. Isn't he like? It, it, it doesn't add because because uh, be essentially you think you've been in camp for how long? That like, is kind of so it's not a twelve week camp. It's probably eight. I don't know how far he was running. I mean, yeah, yeah. but 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 for, yeah, because because running this... for a bus or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still putting that down. The, yeah. the Ian Lewis and training camp. <laughs> Because, because you know, but you know, you know because, but this is another thing. There's no way that he runs for but, the but bus. No, he catches the next one. He needs a pack of Watsons so and the bus. No, but stop. here's another thing about boxing content. You see, a lot of this bullshit gets spread out there. Like it's good to always be in the gym. I'm never out the gym, and and no one's ever gone. Is that actually good for you? Because it's not good for you. Like subjecting your body to repeated trauma, stress, inflammation is not good for you. That's how you get cancers and shit. That's how you fucking die. Yeah, rest is important. Yeah, I, rest I is everything. Can I throw in a final take on this fight? That's why Ian Lewis is so good. Rests. <laughs> but he Sorry. was good. There was a time when Ian Lewis and was. I don't doubt it. I don't. I wouldn't even know if he was good now. When they <laughs> were honestly like they were throwing money at Ian Lewis and to turn over, he's like, no, 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 no. I might make the Olympics. So he he missed. It. Oh my you remember, god! Really? Just to stick with what you were saying about that with rest being important. Do you remember the Groves Eubank press conference where Grove said to Eubank, he said, um, you know, because like, Eubank's kind of his thing. He's in the gym, no days off, seven days a week, three hundred sixty-five yeah. days a year. And Groves sort of said, like, elite athletes, you know, you need to to put on a bit of, to borrow a term from Shane McGuigan last week in Glasgow, he said about Josh Taylor, you need to put a bit of chub on. So you've got something for your body to work off so you can relax yourself. I think like Hopkins is, is somebody over the years who has, has emphasized the need for rest. Even if you do like a 12 week camp and you blow the guy out in one round, it's the sparring, it's the drills. You do need to, to rest. So I agree with what you're saying. And um, yeah. with regards to content, Shane McGuigan said that on Boxing Social last week. <laughs> Can I just say, last thing hopefully on this this Burns card all. what a fucking embarrassment of a pay-per-view card that's the kind of opinion and I liked one. it bullshit this it was a nice card absolute bullshit I was, in the, I, was in the, I was in the pub watching it I was like fuck right. you were out for the night you were so badly hung over this morning that you couldn't make the podcast that's why he was naked on a table drinking bleach and you thought it was brilliant so right but this was what third fourth car, uh, fight down on the card and then you had Anthony Crawler and then you had the main event I believe. Maybe Josh Kelly fit in there somewhere. I think, you know, Kelly was after Dave Allen. Okay. So yeah. maybe so the third... Said, yeah, it was. So it was, it was Burns, Cardle, then Crawler, Jordan, and then... There Lowe. is no way to describe this other than an absolute nothing fight. In that, you know, they didn't even bother to get like a WBA international. Like, I can get one of those for a pub fight. <laughs> they didn't bother paying the sanctioning fee or whatever for this fight. It's a nothing fight because it does nothing for either man. And actually, to the point... To say that it does nothing for either man, the build-up wasn't about what happens to the winner. The build-up was the loser's probably going to have to retire because I've got nowhere to go after this. That's how nothing this fight is, that there is no future in the sport, according <laughs> to the build-up. They're, they're off to box in America now. Yeah, they'll, they'll be on a DAZN show. In That's the knacker's yard time. now, isn't it? You just put all your flotsam and jetsam that way. DAZN Italy. That's where... Uh, <laughs> No, 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 no. Do you know what? For for the design Italy, I'm not upset because I like Tony Conquest. So anything that gets Tony Conquest out boxing, because I know 
he's been really keen to get back into it. So, and I've known Tony since the days when he used to box against a friend of mine, Leon Williams, back in, you know what I mean, the ABAs and stuff. So, happy for him. <clears throat> happy but, for Tony, but they've scraped the barrel on putting that card well, together. Yeah, Martin that, J. Ward, Joe Hughes, and Tony Conquest getting flown over for the debut of the Zone Italy. It's like fucking hell. Is there a hell. massive boxing scene in Italy? No, there no, isn't. Really. Is Probably the fourth market. So Dzone has um, Syria in Italy. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, it's a big like. It's a, it's a mature platform a, there. Yeah. Or, like, have they still got Syria? Wasn't it like eleven degrees or something that took over? Uh, eleven sports. I think no. Yeah. No, I think I'm, I'm sure Syria is on Dzone. Okay. I'm sure. So you end up with a match. Or is it? I'm not, yeah, I, I, th- I think it is. I'm, I'm maybe not sure. The Matchroom <laughs> B team go to America, don't they? And then the Matchroom like, trialists and C team end up in the zone Italy by the looks of it. So fuck knows what Germany are going to get by the time they launch over there. It's going to be like Sandra Hearn's going to be on the undercard. or <laughs> I don't know. Like It's going to be some mad shit like that. But um, yeah, th- this card all burns fight. It's so irrelevant. I, I genuinely had no interest in it whatsoever right. because the winner... What? So what? Okay. Um, How right, did it benefit Ricky Burns to win that fight? Um, Dave Allen for someone who looks like a breakfast juice drink, Brecamonte. <laughs> I, I have no idea who he is. I mean, he might be an established, neither did, neither respected did we boxer. Dave Allen before last night. Ah, right. Okay. Argentinian, yeah. nine and one or something. Ten the men from Brecamonte, he say yes. I think by all accounts, Dave Allen was expecting an easier night than what happened. Now, whether you want to put that down to Dave not having the conditioning to go beyond four rounds at an effective what pace. I, what I struggle with Dave is when I, because I did see a bit of this fight and all, and, he, and he he always tends to look when I watch him absolutely knackered. Like he, if you watch him, he just sort of embodies how difficult, like you'd think, oh my God, that's, that's how tough boxing is. And he, and he actually, I don't know if this is why he's got the name White Rhino. I have no idea if it's, but it's like he just charges in with his head. That's what he kept seeming to do. With arms down, running in. It's almost like, right, I'll absorb the first three punches and then I'll get some in. I, I, it, it is a stark reminder of how hard boxing is because, you know, I've only done like white collar fights and that and done some training, but that's fucking hard for someone who was like a, an early 30s, reasonable shaped fella. And then you see, like, Anthony Crawler last night goes for a 12-round world title eliminator. At the end of the fight, he's laughing, he's joking, he's having a chat to people. He's just gone through 12 three-minute rounds. Hard rounds. And he gets to the end, and he's got enough left. If that were me, I would be on... Well, A, I wouldn't have survived that long. (laughs) But B, if I did, by some miracle, I would be on my ass in the corner. (laughs) Can of beer. Gasping. (laughs) Like, gasping. But then you've got Crawler, like... And again, he's just a stark mind. You watch Dave Allen, and after four rounds, he's blown his load in that fourth when he could have had the guy out. And then from the fifth onwards, it's like he needs to get that second win. But he's so exhausted that a lot of his work's sloppy. He's just coming in with wild shots in places. and. But the thing is, and I think this is probably the thing people don't understand. It's the ten ounce gloves, like fucking hell. If you've ever just just have someone messing around hit you with a wrapped hand and a ten ounce glove. I've done it before. I'm like, mate, mate, just a little shot to the body. There's fuck all there. Yeah. You see, like people say, well, the amateurs box in twelve ounce gloves, and it's not necessarily the weight of the glove that's important. It's how it's shaped. So an amateur glove, most of the padding's around the knuckle for safety reasons, you're not getting paid to do it, fair enough. You look at a pro glove, you have a, you have a shitload of padding at the front of the finger and a shitload on like the, the almost the back of the hand and then that bit in the middle. So like there's this sort of, nah, don't put anything there, just straight knuckles. 
they're hard as hell. So when you've got 18 stone, for the 18 stone four, Dave Allen, lumping into wow. 18 stone three, I mean, Cookie Monster, whatever you called him. Bracamonte. Right. Yeah. Bracamonte, sponsored by Boxing Social. <laughs> but when you, it's, I, I wouldn't want to be taking the shots Dave takes. That's what I find concerning when I watch his style. You know, I just think to myself, he's mortgaging his future with throwing his head so carefree into these. I mean, I, I, by no means am I a boxing expert and know how he should, but he doesn't, I don't see that style anywhere else and it just looks a bit careless. So turn that man, you interviewed him this morning, Rob, didn't you? I've watched that, yeah. where he was saying people like you, Andy, who say they're worried about my future. Yeah. And he's basically saying, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't want you to worry about me. <laughs> I'll worry about you if you worry about me kind of thing. I'd like Dave yeah. to worry about me. I would. I'd like Dave to give me some career <laughs> advice and some life advice. I'm not going to lie. How's it going to Dave Station? I am well, yeah, like Dave, Dave, teach me how you get women, man. What do you do? You know, you a meet him in person guy, Snapchat guy. Help. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> so Terry's off getting laid with Dave. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that was his view, wasn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, to go back to the original point, yeah, Dave wasn't fit for the fight. Um, it was well documented by Dave himself that he's, you know, he's not a gym rat. He's far from it. Um, but he he originally was supposed to be on the card. Then he was taken off the card with a view to boxing on the 8th on the Sheffield card and then added to it again. When he was added to it, I think he had like a week's notice or, or two weeks notice admitted today that I think well I think he admitted earlier on the week hadn't trained for the fight um, boxed Ariel Esteban Bracamonte who is you know I think Dave said himself throughout the week that he was it was, was going to be an easy job he would look good I think he he was under the impression he was going to get him out of there inside a round now Bracamonte while being no world beater looked like he could punch he put his he put his shots together I mean it's, this is the, the difficulty when you're matching somebody against an obscure Argentinian that nobody really kind of knows about and Dave not being fit and also going in with a mentality that he's going to knock the guy out in the first round he's kind of swinging from the hips and he said he was like at the end of the first round he was fucked okay. and he just didn't have anything in the tank the first four rounds were great purely from a both guys letting their hands go and, and landing shots. Yeah. And then after that, they were both absolutely fucked. Can I be real for a second? That's his job, right? He doesn't do anything else with his life other than box in terms of earning money. Maybe he will in the future, I don't know. I can't buy this just showing up, I haven't trained, I haven't done this, I haven't I done that. I completely agree with you. And maybe, in your, if I, and I think I've said it to him before, I'm like, there's going to come a point when people are going to get bored of hearing that because well, they're going to be like, mate, you've been, you've been in this last chance saloon and we've been backing you, we've been backing you, you bought a house now, you're clearly on the up, let that be reflected in the way you train, the way you live. Has he got God, for goodness sake. You know, I completely agree. Um, the, so the interview I did with him today, and he was he was beaten up and and not not as in, you know, lost fight, but his face was, I think he perforated his eardrum. He's, he's cut. He was a bloody mess. I mean, as soon as he came out of the ring, he was talking about how disappointed he was in the fight. And Dave is too honest for his own good sometimes. And, you know, that's why I mean, I've... 
I think um, he's endearing. Yeah. Most yeah, boxers yeah. wouldn't tell you they were unfit. Yeah, like, I, I haven't trained. I mean, but he was saying, like, you know, I should never box on pay-per-view again if I'm doing that and, and these kind of performances. And, like, you know, it's all... It, I think there comes a point, and I've known known Dave for a while, probably not long, but probably like a year, but we've become quite close in probably the last three or, f- three or four months, maybe. So not, not very long, but you kind of... There comes a point where it's like, okay, you need to stop doing this. Like, as Terry says, this is your job. And like, it's hard to watch because Dave, I mean, he clearly knows how to box, but he's not in the condition to box. Mm. He was, he's, he's been very open about his mental health issues. And the fact that you're getting in there with an 18 stone fella, as Terry said, who, who is wearing 10 ounce gloves and is better than you expected and you're not in shape, that's not, good like that's, yeah. that's not a good thing to do I mean it was I was actually quite upset interviewing him today and I just kind of abandoned all kind of protocol yeah and uh, rather than asking questions I, I if you watch the interview um, I'm not trying to plug it but like I was just sort of saying like I don't want to see you but he's talking about boxing on the 22nd but he was you also, said I hope I don't see you again I don't want to see you again in the ring until February I don't want like as a mm. boxing fan but obviously as a friend as well but but as both, I don't want to see you. You can't do that. You need to take some time away. Stop turning what, up. What was Yoka? Yoka was June, right? It was about June, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. The live show. Wasn't yeah. It? Tony, the Tony Yoka fight was in June. And he took an absolute shellacking in that fight. That's the sort of beating that takes months to recover from physically and emotionally. He's, he's kind of had another war now. And you imagine on the 22nd, to, to boost that card, they'll have to give him a name, right? And it's like, well, how much punishment can one man take? I mean, if you, you make a good point about the Yoka fight. He boxed on the, the White Parker show on July the 28th. After, after that, the Nick Webb fight. But what made me laugh, um, one of the Hearn interviews, he was talking about um, how disappointed he was with Dave Allen. But he was like, oh, Dave's got to understand what we're trying to do, how we're trying to build him. I was thinking, we? Like... It wasn't long ago, and I couldn't remember when it was, but if it was June, he was fighting Tony Yoka out in France, presumably because the money was good enough. But from I don't know if the money was that great. But the fact Hearn was talking we was like, it wasn't long ago this guy had to go and fight an Olympic gold medalist, presumably because there wasn't anything for him in the UK. Eddie wasn't trying to fucking boost him at that point, but now it's the stuff we're trying to do together, we're trying to build together. I, just, I found it a little bit disingenuous. I mean, I'm by no means am I. uh, Do I engage? I engage a significant less than all three of you, and probably most people listen to this. And that cushion with 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 Twitter. (laughs) But when I saw one of his tweets yesterday apologising, I thought that rings quite a few bells of him apologising in the past. And I just think to myself, it's it's difficult to. As uh, much as I agree with you in the fact that he's a candid and he's a genuine guy, it's hard to believe that he even means that apology if he does nothing to change it's, that behaviour in the future. This is kind of what I'd, I'd said to him, today, which, which was kind of upsetting, because I'm sitting here and I'm doing the interview and I'm doing the interview with Dave and he's saying these things again. And I've said, like, you know, you've said these things. And Dave's not stupid. He's he's a lot sharper than people give him credit for. He says He's said all of the right things for a number of months now. And I've said to him, like when is the penny going to drop? You're, you're saying yeah. these things. You're not stupid, but 
but you can surely see that certainly turning up out of shape is not good regardless of whether or not you're expecting to knock the guy out in a round or not you're still heavyweight boxing it's still professional boxing and then you're now talking about like even like today the last time I spoke to him he still he wants to fight on December the 22nd if you look at the shots that he was taking in that fight that is by no means in his best interest and I've said this to Dave on camera and I've said it to him off camera six weeks away yeah they they gave Ted 60 days yeah and like Dave would be will be lucky if the board don't put a stop to that should he want to I mean Eddie told me in the in my interview with him in the post fight press conference yesterday Dave will not be boxing this year and I can only hope that he doesn't because there is no there is no good reason for him to box until February next year. But, there is no good reason for it at all. But he, I don't think he's a matchroom fighter. Nobody's so he's really a matchroom yeah, fighter. Yeah. So so you can imagine someone like a Phil Jeffries going, yeah, got to show up north, or maybe a Steve <laughs> Wood. Okay, I'll, I'll rephrase that. There is no good reason for any promoter who is listening to this podcast to put Dave Allen They've on a gone. show in in Feb before February. Agreed. There is no good reason yeah. for it. What are you trying to achieve? Essentially, but, what 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 he is doing is essentially exploiting the fan base that he's got and the money that he brings to the table and yeah. the interest he brings to the table at the expense of his health and well being. If they're which gonna, is not right. If anyone's thinking of having Dave Allen on the show, don't they'll, do it. They'll know from his even if they're not listening to this, they'll know from his previous looking back for his the last year. They should know if they're in that position anyway, not to put him on for his own good, right? Yeah, but it almost yeah. becomes circus monkey act, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. You... It's yeah, you're wheeling him out now, and it's yeah. there's, there's like he's don't get me wrong, he had a, he done, had a great he? he had a great win against years old, against so Nick so, Webb. How old is he? Twenty six. Twenty six. He's got so many years. Yeah, if you just look after him. Like, look, you, you don't have to box in December. You can box in February, March time, and you, what are you do. But the thing with Dave is, uh, this is kind of what I was getting at with. He's very open with his kind of mental health issues that he had. Dave needs boxing. He needs focus. Dave needs focus. No, what, he needs what, what, structure what, what, in his life. But I, I know, I, can't, I think I know where you're going to say, well, if you need boxing, you need focus. Why are you not in the gym? Why are you not fit? And why are you not, you, you know? But, 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 but also, I think Dave's latched on to the fact that when he's boxing, people like him. I think Dave worries what happens if he doesn't box for six months will people still like him? And I only noticed because I remember we had a brief conversation. <laughs> I remember that just, just popping into my head thinking, I think this guy just wants to be liked. Well, that, and, that, and that's he, got a pretty and, poor trajectory, hasn't it? And, I mean. and it's, he's paying a heavy price for that. But the thing is, we like Dave. We, like, we, I he, love Dave. He's done enough now. Like I like his little escapades with guys like Anthony Tomlinson and, and Tomo's fucking <clears> mad dog and stuff. I like those little escapades that go on around there. But... If you go back to one of the earlier podcasts, remember I said, I don't think being where he is now is good for him because in that part of the world, he's huge. So he can do what he wants. I need to go to Asda. Someone come and pick me up and take me to Asda. You know, all that stuff that you can do, but it dulls your hunger. Whereas if you take me, you put him somewhere, like fucking even Coventry. Now Dave's on his own. He's got to get up. He's got to graft. He's got to switch on. Would that benefit him? Don't know. Um, he benefits from having a point. more sort of like hands-on, somebody hands-on in his sort of entourage. Well, I, mean, I, don't wanna, I, don't, I don't want to... to porky. I mean, he's, he's he needs t- Porky. <laughs> so he's he's trained by Mick Marsden. And I think something that Dave referred to in the interview that we did today was that Dave's his own man and I will talk to him. I've, I've been very upset 
with Dave, not angry at him, but sad. And, you know, to watch, he's such, a, he can do, I think Dave Allen could do anything he wants if it's not boxing. And I've said to, said to him, if you don't want to box, do something else. You, you're sharp, you've got your wits about you, people like you. He was you. a sub-teacher, wasn't he? Yeah, but like, I don't, he could do whatever he wants, but like, but he wants to be his own man and he wants to be, he's addicted to boxing. Fight week, the 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 whole, the furor that surrounds it. But he wants to be his own man and, and Mick Marsden, who trains him, just kind of lets him get on with things. They're, they're too close in a way that they're too friendly. Now, I hope Dave, I mean, Dave kind of has alluded to it. And so I'll just sort of come around and say he's, he's, he's looking at his trainer situation. Does he need to, as Terry says, take himself away from, from Doncaster or up north? I mean, like similar, different, different cases entirely, but Dillian White. Dillian White's in Loughborough. He spoke today about like it's the most piss boring town. He's, he's from like Brixton. He doesn't he doesn't enjoy living in Loughborough. But to to make the most out of his career, he goes there. He goes to training. He comes home. He sleeps. He eats. He goes back and goes training. That would be ideal for Dave. But can he do that? And can he live? Which is kind of what Terry's saying about the wanting to be liked and wanted. I think it's not so much wanting to be liked, but wanting to feel valued. Like he has a purpose. If he doesn't have a purpose then this this is where he gets into these... Look, he calls them periods on the brain. Look, this is where these things happen when he doesn't have anything to strive for. But for me, if that were true, he'd throw himself into boxing. Like, I work with kids, and I know if they didn't have boxing, they'd be stabbing people. And you see how they are in the gym, and they're maximising those minutes. They're there, dripping in sweat, dragging other kids to go, no, no, listen, let's do some more work. And you're watching that, and you know for them, boxing is everything. Doesn't it depend what he's taking out of the sport? Like what I'm, I'm getting at is, if he really is addicted to the center, to the being the center of attention, having those people around him, I can imagine if you were someone who was completely focused, and you're in the gym like you're suggesting, Terry, then it becomes more like feast and famine, where. Uh, pre-show you're in the gym and it can be, I can imagine it's quite a lonely place where you're gym, rest, eat, sleep, gym, rest until you get to fight week and then it's bang and everyone's around you and so mate, is that why he doesn't do it? So it depends find on what's it too hard? to you. So, so there are some boxers and I'm not saying I'm a boxer but I share their value of I love being in the gym. Like you could take everything else about boxing away. Match from shows, pay-per-view, take everything else away. I'd hang on for dear life for that feeling of being in a gym, right? And I think a lot of boxers love that. So even when you're not fighting, like you'll see guys like Chisora, they'll come into the gym, sit around, you know, mess around on the bag a little bit, sit around, chat, just being in that environment. Now, do I think Dave loves it that much? Probably not. I think he likes what it gives him. And it could have been anything. So it could have been racing motorbikes, I've got mates like that. I have mates who love speed and they were young kids nicking cars, nicking motorbikes, going absolutely apeshit on roads. One, you know what I mean? One badly disfigured from one of those crashes. But if you take that away from them, they're like, what do I do with myself? And I think maybe Dave's in that position. I, I'm, I'm theorizing here and I shouldn't, I mean, I'll, I'll ask him when I see him next, but. I mean, Dave said to me that without boxing, he would have killed himself a few years ago, which was horrible to hear. Yeah, that is pretty horrible. Horrible to hear for me. And I was, wasn't going to say this, I was in tears doing the interview with Dave this morning, partly because I had two hours sleep, but still. <laughs> the emotional... Yeah, it's, yeah, and, and, and being close to Dave and, and kind of knowing, 
knowing him and you, he, you know, like I talk a lot of shit and like sometimes I'll talk to someone, I know they're not listening and I'm a very stubborn person, similar to Dave in the fact that if I have something in my head, like he does with boxing and somebody tells me the difference is if somebody talks to me, you can tell that I don't give a shit about your opinion. If I'm set on something, I'll go, yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. Or I'll look at you and nod. Dave will- Keep a note for the next yeah. hour or so. But, da- but Dave will listen intently. He will listen intently to what you're saying and he understands that what you're saying is right and he chooses to ignore it, which is the issue. Like, he hmm. he, he doesn't... He's not poo-pooing the, the, the information or, or the advice you're trying to give him. He's, take, he's listening intently and taking it on board. He understands that what he's doing is not good, but he does it anyway. That's and it, it's kind of like a, a self-destruct mode that he's in. It, like it's it's almost like can't live with it, can't live without it. But he can't. It's almost he's like a toxic relationship. Yeah, it's but, like an abu- do you know what it is? It's an abusive relationship that so he has I, so with boxing. I'd turn I'd turn your question around then and go: Is he really his own man in that case? Because for me, like to be your own man, you should be in control of the variables of your life. Like being your own man is about being proactive in things. So when you're around. You know, so I speak in a boxing context in light of the audience we've got here. There are certain boxers you're around. Like I remember in the younger days, we used to knock about with Anthony Small. And you look at Smallsy and he was his own man because he'd dress how he wanted. He'd do what he wanted. He'd show up to the gym. People would be like, keep your hands up. You're like, no. But he made everything work. You know, he made everything work. And you watch it and you go, yeah, that guy was his own man. You see other people in other walks of life, they are their own men because they can step into something and step out of something as and when it suits them. And I think that's the missing bit here. It's almost like, like you said, it's an abusive relationship. Dave needs boxing. But he also needs almost like anti-boxing, if you see what I mean. Mm. So for me, boxing is super fit, super focused, taking it seriously because your life is on the line. And then anti-boxing is... I can eat KFC, I can just knock about with my mates, train the 16-year-old kid to box, whatever. All this other stuff, like almost anti-boxing. And it's almost like he's like, I want both at the same well, time. What I was getting with the whole, um, the what he gets out of the whole boxing fraternity, maybe he, what I was getting at is that maybe he could get those same things by moving, like you said, uh, Rob, uh, in reference to um, you could do anything you wanted. It, with a little bit of work, perhaps uh, in research, he could find what he's looking for, what he gets out of boxing in something else that doesn't mean he has to train what he doesn't want to do and get punched in the face repeatedly. Sure, but I mean, he loves to fight. and it, it, That's what he... That he loves I've, to fight. I've known Dave a while and going through some of that turmoil that he had, and it, you know, it came down to gambling, it came down to various issues around the depression... And actually, he always said, like, the one thing that kept him focused was when he had a fight day. If you had a fight day of December 22nd, or whatever it was, that's when he could switch on. So, yeah, he may not turn up in 100% shape or whatever, but that's the date he's got at that point. And that means that all the peripheral stuff seemed to disappear, mm. and that's when he could focus. But if he didn't have that December 22nd date, and you said to him, you're fighting sometime in 2019, that's when the wheels come off a bit. And that's right, when... So then, yeah. I mean, I'm, but, I'm, yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. Like, if you said... Um, you know, you're going to become uh, office manager and you've got to get this report done by next week, then that's a focus, but it's not the focus that he loves. 
Yeah, I, get, I, I just don't, what I don't understand is the focus you're talking about. What is he? Fo- I mean, he's focusing on a fight date. What is like right now? I'm focused. What is the focus? The focus of well, the demons are gone. Yeah, or that, that's uh, rather what it, that's than what it is. he's not. He doesn't seem to be doing the right things between now and that fight date. It just seems to be like almost like for now the fog is lifted. He knows he's going to get his fix. It's like a, it's a, an addiction. <laughs> yeah. it's, that's that's the truth. Yeah. Like he he sees that he get he gets his fix, which is fight week, the fight, the aftermath. Yeah. From that week. So he knows that, okay, I'm going to get it. I've, I've got to build up to that point. It doesn't mean in his head that, okay, I've got to fight then. That means I need to get in the gym all day, every day. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, like, unfor- exactly. you're absolutely right, unfortunately. And what's fascinating is that when you talk to Dave, like Dave will tell you, you go, look, I could never have a fight in the street. It's not who I am. Like, I'm not a guy that wants to fight in the street or whatever. I can, but that boxing ring, I love it. Mm. Which, which is another interesting contrast because, there are a handful of people you meet like that who are like, you know, really fucking good and destructive in the ring. Linus, you don't feel yeah. like that. Linus is I a don't street want anything. fighter. Yeah. He's told me various times about different conflicts that he's had where if you listen to the Fight Talk podcast, yeah. there's a brilliant one where he talks about a guy asking him for change. And um, and he kind of, he's sat in his car and he can't move because there's traffic. And this geezer comes up to his Merc like, you got any change? There's <laughs> some change knocking about. Anyway, I won't go into it. Listen to the Fight Talk podcast. Linus doesn't like that confrontation necessarily outside of the ring. Put him in a ring and he enjoys it. But he's one of the few, not the many. Yeah. And and, and I, I find those sorts of contrasts interesting because it goes back to a point I make. And I remember having this discussion and people saying, because, you know, there's this maxim, isn't there? Anyone that steps through the ropes and laces up the gloves deserves respect because it's the hardest thing in the world. And I said, actually, no, it's just a fucking habit. Like, if you've been boxing since you're 11, it's just a habit. You're conditioned to it. It's not bravery because you'll be shit scared of a spider. So it's not, it's not, there's no innate bravery. To, it's a habit. And in a, for a lot of boxers, when you break that habit, things go wrong. Look at Frank Bruno. You watch <laughs> Frank Bruno's career and at no point would you have thought he will fall off. But shit loads of boxers. I'm sure, Terry, you could probably back this up. I know many, many, many boxers that as soon as, you know, they'll be the same as Dave. They've got that fight date, the focus on the fight date. Fight date's over, the next week of their life is a wreck. And you're talking, you know, fast food, women, recreational drugs, alcohol, all that kind of stuff. That that sounds like when I was single and how great it was. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, that's basically... I'm joking, I'm But they try and, because they've got that eight-week training camp... They've maybe got two to three to four weeks to fit all that shit in. And then because they're people that are innately um, fixed by highs and lows, those highs, as soon as that fight's over, they've got nothing to concentrate on, they they fucking live on the edge, most boxers. And and most coaches don't help with that. I try to. I try and talk people through and I say, listen, there's a fight date here, but there's a downward spiral you have to manage. So I always say, what are you going to do after the fight? I don't know. So no, 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 no. You've got, to, you've got to have a plan for, for that Sunday. Yeah. Go, yeah. go and see your mum. Go and see some friends. I right? can imagine that is a crash. Because if not, you'll end up in the pub. That's, yeah. again, it's a come down. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's, yeah. Should we move on? Because nah. how far have we been? Like, 14 hours. We've been. <laughs> An hour and 52, 53 minutes. Fucking hell, we haven't even touched on... Uh, do we need to talk about Josh do we, Kelly? Do we need to... Well, the, the fight I've still got to cover is... Quote, Crawler versus some dude. I couldn't um, remember the guy's name, but I'm like, Jordan, wasn't it? 
I can remember yeah. his name when I texted him. Uh, no, look. We kind of covered it. Yeah, no one rounds. needs to worry about that. We kind of cruised through it. 12, uh, he didn't cruise. It was a, oh, he didn't. Uh, well, I oh, know, sorry. I missed, competitive I missed some of it because I couldn't really bother to watch it. I had to go across town. But the, the right to get beaten up by Lomachenko, that's what that fight should have been billed as. Because, let's be honest, like, Johnny Nelson is going to have to sell his penis to try and sell this fight to us. Because... <laughs> what? I'm not really sure where the analogy came from, but you know, well, all we know about him is he didn't have a mortgage. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I've lost respect for him now because I, I was told that he used to say all this bullshit because he was helping out Dominic Ingle in his last Bre- years Brendan. of his life. What Dominic? Brendan. I'm oh, sorry, Brendan. <laughs> uh, fucking hell! Um, in the last years of his life, as he was heading towards you know the exit gate. And he was saying all this stuff because the Sky money went towards helping him. <laughs> you believe that as well? <laughs> Since he's passed away, Johnny Nelson fucking turned it up. His income's going through the roof <laughs> to sell this shit. So imagine what he'd be like in Kroller Lomachenko fight week. Oh. Fuck about. There's even the, there's a, even a Twitter parody account of him now, isn't there? Like, Company man Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, some of this shit comes up. It caught me off guard. I was like, what the fuck is he saying? Oh, it didn't a- catch me off guard. I was like, oh, that's Johnny. Oh, no, it's not Johnny Nelson. <laughs> Fucking hell. Like, um, how can you parody a parody? Um, right, so we're finished with Crawler versus... Remember when he thought that Conor McGregor was fitter than Mayweather? And that's oh, why he the fight. don't. <laughs> Everyone... <laughs> Everyone was embarrassing at that fight. Everyone, weren't they? Like, just, um, well, I it mean, was, the, the mainstream, no, the no, mainstream no, stuff is Bunce what I mean. was the worst yeah, for it. Yeah, that's Do you remember what I was kind of referring to? Going, this is bollocks. There's no him, way him this and, would happen. I still this don't get the fact that oh, you a free had flight. Yeah, a triple, no, triple G and Canelo fight on the horizon, and they chose to go to Vegas for the Mayweather. I just, I'll never understand who makes that decision. This that is, is insane. I, and then sad. they had to report Canelo Triple G from the UK. What? Yeah. Remember when Sky did a comparison on who'd win by number of tattoos, tattoos on each yeah, fighter? <laughs> You know where Sky put up like the stats screen in the background, like they would in football or whatever. Yeah, tattoos is one of the the key metrics as to who's going to come out of this fight on top. Um, Josh Kelly, nah, one round blowout. Nah. Okay, um, so speaking of tattoos, Bell you. <laughs> um, what does the bomber mean on the back of? Because I know what it doesn't mean. I know that it doesn't refer. Have you seen this team? <laughs> no. Okay, right. Oh so the fight. They go through all of the pre-fight stuff. So they yeah. get them to the ring, all of that. The tension's built up. And they've done a good job of it, apart from that fucking rapper that I've no idea who the hell he was. What is it? Grime. That's what I was looking, the word I was okay. looking for earlier. Um, Apparently that's grime music. I, I've no idea what it is. It's like, what the fuck is I'm this? I'm sure like, there are people. Who was it? Bugsy Malone. Bugsy. Was it? Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a huge Bugsy Malone fan. I'm not after last night. Maybe he's got better stuff listen. than that. <laughs> he wants the king to have. of Berry New Road, Bugsy Malone. Everyone should listen to him. Listen to his, both his fire in the booth with Charlie Sloth. Yeah, you think it's Sam Morali to begin with, but it's not. <laughs> um, so anyway, they go through all this stuff. Bugsy, good ring walks. It's good, right? They're facing off. The referee gets them. They they pan out to the long shot, so you see the ring sides. The boxers are in their corners getting their final words off their trainers. At which point, Adam Smith interjects through all of this and says, uh, bomber on the back of Tony Bellew, the tattoo he's got yeah. over his shoulders. Um, that is a reference to the power that he carries 
and not a reference to the terrorist attacks on the Ariana Grande concert at this venue last year. Okay, so I'm now going to put that second after Boom Glioni as just shit where it probably sounded better in your head than it was ever I, going to I sound. Don't, I had a feeling, and I, I stand by this, I think maybe somebody had rung up Sky and complained about it, or maybe someone at Sky thought they need to preempt a complaint by just explaining. It sounds more likely. Just explain. So, like in a in a PC environment, to see somebody with the word bomber on a place that was bombed last year might not be the most PC. Oh. So, because Adam Smith didn't say it with a whole lot of conviction when he said it, it was it was almost like he knew that he sounded a bit it's, of a it's prick, just in bad taste. Um, but why bring that up at all? Yeah. Why bring that up? I, it, was, it always hacks me off when you hear like. And this is this is unrelated, I suppose, to a certain extent. It's a tenuous link at best. But when you hear them swear in the corner, and it's like half past ten at night in the middle of a fight, and you hear someone going, "You just got to fucking punch him," and the commentator goes, "I'm sorry about the language there." Ronald McIntosh. The no, no, name names. Turn on Ronald BBC McIntosh. One. Every commentator does it. They Everybody. swear on BBC One at that time because it's watershed and. Everyone knows the time. It's not like it's, yeah. it, you know, it, oh, it's just so but, frustrating. Yeah, the, the whole Ariana Grande thing was just in poor taste. In a, oh, yeah. In something that's still relatively fresh, in something that doesn't need reminding yeah. to people uh, because it's... And 99% of people are going to go, well, of course it is. Well, I, I <laughs> Isn't the bomber dead? I don't know. But nobody... I can't imagine anyone that bought that pay-per-view went to yeah. the effort of paying £20 yeah, that's a good point. to watch that, yeah. was sat there thinking... Wow, Tony Bellew's gone and done that. But to be in that wasn't like, he announced prior to that as Tony the Bomber Bellew? Yeah. So, um, so if you're I, watching it, the only time you could have been possibly offended if you're one of those people that did buy it, didn't know his nickname, and hadn't what just turned on at that point and saw Bomber and hadn't heard him introduced. Or just hate as the sound Tony of da- Bomber David Bellew. Diamante's voice. Diamante Bellew. Um, um, so yeah, yeah, I just anyway. I, I was genuinely baffled, and I just thought it was really shit. Like, Stupid. Because. We don't need reminding of that. We're sat on a Saturday night trying to live our own lives and just get on with enjoying yeah. a boxing match. I don't need that bring me down and that reminder. Don't get me wrong. I know it happened and I know I should maybe be more like, so sh- when I see that venue, I should think, oh shit, all those people. But I don't necessarily. No, you're not. You, I mean, you're, I'm assuming that if we had a conversation relative, you would be compassionate to those people that were in I it. I would be. I think yeah. everybody would yeah. be. What I don't need on a Saturday night sat on my sofa is it being brought up and put back in Well, put yourself in the position of being someone who did lose somewhere in there and you're sitting down watching it and then you say that and you go, don't disrespect the memory of my daughter, son, whatever, like by saying stupid things like that. It would rage me. I know that much. Remember, as we said earlier, yeah, if that happened on a football commentary, up in arms. It's boxing. Mm. Uh, Okay, let's move on to what actually happened in the fight, um, which was, Bill, you're getting sparked. No, you know what? No, no, no. no, no. Wait, wait, oh, wait. Oh, nighty night, princess. Boff! Wait, and it falls through the... This time last week, you were saying you wanted him to win. Yeah, no, no. I said I was on the train, and then I changed my mind swiftly because he fucking winds me up. I, do you I, know what? It was, it was to do like, with, like, clean, potentially clean, potentially dirty athletes. Uh, actually, then I woke up and I stand for... Actually, I don't give a fuck about that. Knock him out. Nah, look, I... And then he I, fell through the ropes, I, and I was so happy. Nah, I, fucking I can't, face, I can't agree with that. wet face going... Oh, what's fucking going on? You just got sparked. No, sorry. I, 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 I can't. I can't. Wow, I've never seen Andy. I can't. He's such a fagger. That's what annoys me. 
Oh. Such a fucking faggot. I'd like goes, to apologise to the audience for the language being used. He goes, he goes, afterwards, he goes off and like just fucking starts crying and kissing everyone. But then when he wins, he's like, nobody believe me. It's all like, oh, fuck off, mate. Fuck off. Have fucking spine. Have some pride. No. (laughs) (laughs) This time last week, you wanted him to win. Yeah, it's only because I was getting a bit righteous about PEDs. But like, it just... I just can't stand the way that he, like, it's almost like, oh you're no, I've been knocked that out. You're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've been knocked out. Best try and tug at the old heartstrings. <laughs> what? No, no, Fuck no, off. no. Go ahead, look, he he did better than any of us expected. Like when I when I was watching, I was in the, I was in the pub, so there was, there was no commentary, so I'm just getting questions. I mean, what's happening? What's happening? And I was watching, and I said, I don't think he can do that for twelve rounds because he was doing everything right like what Usyk loves to do is to come in and go out so you'll you'll double step in and he'll catch you on like literally he catches you on the retreat gets your attention then he comes forward and works you so anytime Usyk went back Bell you would go back to increase that distance and go now you got work to get back in he wasn't engaging when he didn't need to especially in the first probably the first third of the fight and you're watching it going, it's a decent performance. But you haven't really hurt Usyk yet, and he's going to get to you at some point. But you're doing better than I thought you would do. And and it was one of the few times I've watched Dave Caldwell in the corner, because I've, I've gone back now and watched this. I wanted to hear what was being said in the corner. Dave did well in the corner. He just said, turn back on. Switch back on. Well, because because that I was the fourth, yeah. wasn't it? That was the third, yeah. between the third and fourth round. Because first oh, no, sorry, rounds, fourth and fifth. Nice and disciplined. Just there, figuring him out, not giving anything he didn't have to give. Usyk earned every shot. But you could see over time, and he had 35-year-old legs. And it came back to a conversation. I'd had conversations with guys that had been sparring in both camps. The Bellew camp hadn't gone that well. I think he was just running on memories and fumes by the end of that camp. And you could see it showed towards the end. And that left hook he got hit with. It didn't look like it had anything. Like, I've watched it so many times. I'm like, where's the real leverage come from? Because it was just a, a throwaway jab straight into that left hook, but it hit him so clean. That was clearly bone on bone because Tony was just out. Yeah, because that didn't look like a particularly, like, in the Usex spe- spectrum, a really powerful it punch. It wasn't thrown from hell. No. Was- no. And there was no real follow-through to suggest that he had done anything with any force. It was just well-timed, and it was at a point in the fight where, I mean, for me, I thought I thought the fight went pretty much as I expected it to. I think, if I mean, people who have watched Usyk and, and obviously Lomachenko from the same amateur setup, they're now trained like Anatoly Lomachenko, they, they kind of, they have that, that scouting mission, those first two, three rounds where it's kind of like the computer working that... Usyk threw a lot of feints. His feet were great in the first couple of rounds. Belly was in the fight and he was boxing very well. He didn't give anything away, but Usyk wasn't really trying to take anything away from him other than information in the first few rounds of the fight. And then in the fourth round, Usyk started to come forward and stay in the pocket a bit more, started to let his hands go a bit more, started to get to Belly, and Belly started to slow down. It was the pressure of the feet from Usyk that slowed Belly down. He was He just couldn't he couldn't live with the feet pressure. And this is what Bellew said in, the, in a that, brilliant... So Usyk's feet 
are so good. He's so fast with his feet. He shuffles, as Terry said, he's in and out of distance very, very well. His angles and the, the way he kind of, he'll, he'll bear you tired because of the, the pressure. Usyk's suddenly in range. He's suddenly switching around the target. He's, he's moving. And Bellew is kind of trying to counteract all of these little feints. And after, it burns up nervous energy. Right. And and Bellew, that's kind of what happened. He got ground down, not so much necessarily by the punching. Mean, obviously, the punching came... I think in the fourth round, Usyk started to throw straight left hand to the body, which was a really nice shot, really effective, that helped slow Bellew down. But it was it was the, the pressure. And Bellew said in the post-fight press conference, which is a brilliant post-fight press conference... Everybody watched that, apart from you, Andy. Um, <laughs> brilliant. And he was very, very honest and very... Oh, open. no, I Just, did see it, actually. I did see it. Yeah. yeah, very honest and very open about kind of the fact that he was beaten by a much better fighter. Yeah. And he was just... He couldn't live with the, the pressure of the feet. He slowed down and he got caught with a shot. He... The writing was on the wall, I think, from the fourth round. You could tell that it was only going to end one way. There was one point at the end of the sixth, on. wasn't there? Yeah, he caught him with that, that hook. That, that short punch, yeah. and you saw Bell, you go. Yeah. And you're like, oh, right on the bell as well. You're like, ooh. Yeah. But I think, I, I mean... But here's the thing that worries me. I'm looking at Usyk going, you're probably in that ring in about 96, 97 kilos, right? How are you hopping in and out like that continuously? Like, you don't have that much energy in you. Like, and, I, and I'm not believing that you switch from glycogen to fat supplies. Like, this, it, it, it may, oh, you mean he's been on an XL course? Is that what you're trying? I, look, I don't want to say that. It's, it's a style I look at it and I go, I don't think you could do that naturally. That's like saying to someone, you can take your amateur style, three threes, and what was it? 222, 30 effective moves around. You can do that for 12 rounds. Uh, it's not possible. It's not possible because he did it in the final of the World Boxing Super Series, and I flagged it up then. I said, "Look, that's not that's not human." Because if it were human, we'd all be training our guys to do that because that's the surest way to win. Just just move more than your opponent, and you're more likely to win. But I was watching that, and I was like, "Number one, you're hopping in and out like that. Number two, when do you plant your feet to get that purchase? If you're if you're kind of not committing your feet." I mean, to the floor. And it turns out, doesn't need to. He's just going to outpoint you by just picking you off doing that and then getting that timing spot on, which he did in the eighth round. And, like, to see Bell, you flattened in the same year that Hay got flattened. And you're just almost watching an era dying. <laughs> Passing of the mm. guard. Yeah, it's just like an era dying now because, and for all the people who are going to give Bell, you shit. Imagine, imagine someone told you there's a boxer, four-time ABA finalist, three-time winner boxed for his country. I think he boxed Arthur Spilker in the amateurs and beat him. Boxing the European Championships. I mean, you've all these things that Bell you did, stayed late as an amateur. I think he turned pro at like 24, 25. He stayed late in the amateurs as well. So he's seen all the eras. Him and Pricey came up together. So he was, he's seen all the eras. Like He was doing the ABAs with guys like Frankie Gavin and fucking, who's the other one? The Walsh brothers when they were kids as well. He had a great amateur career. So when people are surprised that he can box and he can use his brain, I'm like, what the fuck did you expect? The guy has been learning his craft the right way. And so I respect him for that. And I say congratulations, good luck to what you do in the rest of your post-fight life. Is that him but, but, retired now? Yeah, he's done. But, he's, he's not going to come But let's, let's also ask the question, 
what would he have done if he had been a cruiserweight his whole career? I, I think that's an interesting question because I didn't want to believe the the light heavyweight stuff he said. But, you know, you move the weights up, him against Stevenson's a different fight in my eyes. Him against Cleverly One's a different fight in my eyes. So the history would have to say, what would Bell have done as a career cruiserweight? Yeah, I'll give my quick take on this. I can't give Bellew more credit than he deserves. And I don't think he deserves that much. I'm not being horrible. I don't want to be seen as someone who's trolling or whatever. I'm not going to go to the lengths Andy just did. <laughs> Which was trolling, to be fair. <laughs> Bellew did, what, three, four rounds where he had control of the fight. Round one, Usyk did nothing in terms of a punch output. It's everything Rob just said a minute ago about he was just gathering the intelligence for three, four rounds. So when you see Bellew like, laid back on the ropes or whatever, but... What was key about it all was it was done at U6 pace. Mm. It was done all the way through at U6 mm. pace. And so don't be surprised when Bellew is fucked by the end of the fight because he's, although U6 hasn't been leathering him, he's just been peppering him every now and then. But he's been doing it at his pace, been making him move at his pace around the ring, cutting that ring, making him into the corner, you know, letting Bellew have the middle of the ring and going around. He's done it all at his pace because he knows he can do it over that period of time. I don't think Bellew deserves a massive amount of credit for basically winning three rounds where your opponent doesn't really throw that many punches, but instead your opponent yeah. is wearing you out. No, no, but and also, also Bellew wasn't letting him have the opportunity. So if you watch... But he doesn't do it... In, like, Usyk doesn't do it in any of his fights for no, his first no, no, two no. rounds. But, yeah, no, 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 no but, here, but, but here's my thing, right? That fight could have gone any one of two ways. Tony could have gone first round, I'm just going to jump on him. It's not unusual. You do that sometimes. If you think someone's loads better than you, you jump on them. Maybe scares, you should have. Scares the shit out of them. But you could see what Usyk was trying to do. He was trying to see what, what are the reactions when I, when I jam? Mm -hmm. What's his reaction when I throw the backhand? Fine. But what Bellew then said was, let me keep my powder dry. So I'm just going to repel that jab. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop your jab I'll halfway. throw the right hand over the top of it. Not only that, but just in, just in the jab exchange, he'd stop it here. Like normally you can just sit back, lean off. But he was stopping it in the middle. Why? Because he didn't want Usyk to get that distance. So Usyk was like, this is going to be a little bit trickier. So he started to circle round Bellew and catch him on the adjustment. So when Bellew had to adjust, turning that 45 degrees, that 30 degrees, that's when he was going in for his attacks. He made Usyk have to box at a really high level. And I, I'll give him his due for that because there are other people like Gassiv who just didn't show up. Mm. You remember that? Gassiv didn't show up. And he's trained by the great Abel Sanchez. Okay, but Gassiev went the full 12 rounds, if you want to play devil's advocate. Gassiev's a tough guy, but Gassiev showed zero ambition. He came forward all the way through the fight. No, he was throwing... that's, that's different to showing ambition, though. No, no, he, no he, 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 he had, had plenty he, of punch out, he, but he, he had, wasn't good enough to land. He didn't throw enough punches, Abel told him. He, Gassiev came and realised he couldn't win the fight, and he was like, I don't want to get knocked out. That's the sense I got from about round three onwards. I agree fact, with that. But yeah. we're just, just touching on, on kind of what... So similar to what... Well, not similar, but just to reference what you both said. I think while Bellew won the first three rounds, I think Usyk was in control from the, the start of the fight to the end of the fight. I was thinking he was in control of the whole Agreed. fight. Um, I, you, I scored the... I, I had Usyk 4-3 up at the time of the stoppage, but I gave Bellew the first three rounds based on the fact that Usyk is just there picking up information and scouting. I differ in a sense of... 
in a sense of I do give Bellew credit for similar to what Terry said. He did make he forced Usyk to make adjustments. Usyk is still gathering that information, but the information that he found was okay. I'm in with a guy who can clearly box. It wasn't a sense of he's gathering information for three rounds and gone. Well, this guy's shit. Let me bang him out. Yeah, yeah. So it was. <laughs> so he, he's he's picking up this information for the first three rounds, and he's saying, okay, so Belly, I'm not hitting him with a backhand. Isaac Chamberlain, who spent some time in camps with Usyk on, on a number of occasions, said this on Twitter about. Usyk missing with the backhand, so straight left hand wasn't wasn't getting to Bellew when it once, and this is when he started to dial it up in sort of the four, the fourth and fifth round. So as Terry said, he's taken the step, stepping round, and he started to loop the shot more. The the shot that knocked him out was a kind of half hook, half yeah. straight. It was like a it was a Degel shot. Degel yes, loves yes, that very punch. similar to the way Degel will throw a backhand, but. It is testament to Bellew that he wasn't there just to get pinged by a, a straight left hand. I understand what you're saying with he forced Usyk to, to box it. On the flip side, I understand that he, he forced Usyk to box at a very high level, but Usyk is always in, he's boxing at a very high level from the get-go. It's just, he he forced him to to make certain adjustments that... I guess, guess if he did, he was just having fun in there. Yeah, I mean, but that that's sort yeah. of what I agree with you when I say I don't feel like Gassiev really showed that much in, in, intent to win the fight once it was clear that his game plan wasn't working. I think it became, for Gassiev, more a case of I'm a Russian fighting a Ukrainian in Moscow, I don't want to get knocked out. And and that kind of was how the fight panned out. He didn't, he did, his punch output didn't change didn't cut the ring off at all. He landed that one right hand at the end of the fourth round. Like this, yeah. which is the thing that kind of went around on Twitter. Like we've never seen Usyk take a shot. Gassiev, one of the Bullshit. arguably the biggest puncher at Cruiserweight. I mentioned him earlier, Kudryashov, not a great boxer, but can really punch. The hammer. Yeah, between those two guys, uh, the, the biggest puncher. Gassiev caught him with that counter right hand at the end of the fourth round and spun Usyk's head around and he just walked through it. Yeah, like, but that's because Sky sold you this narrative almost, and Johnny Nelson sold you the narrative <laughs> of, oh, he's never really been tested. It's like, he's been now to four fighters' backyards, undefeated, like three of them undefeated, taking their world titles. Last night goes to Tony Bellew's backyard, beats him, takes his world titles home. And just to pause, say he's not been tested, he's fucking lunacy. And just pause for a second and think, like 10, 11 years ago, that guy was boxing Sean Porter in the yes. amateurs. <laughs> <laughs> the he was boxing. Yeah, it was, it was and middle. Lost. It was middle. Yeah, seventy-five kilos. He boxed. Yeah, but now the, the welterweight yeah. champion. Yeah, bloody hell! Like if, if ever, yeah, there's like a divergence. But, but by mean, the end of it, I'm not saying I was happy because Tony Bell you were sparked out. I'm not taking I the was. Andy approach oh, to this. I was. Look, I was happy that he got the fight beaten out of him because I think that's the end of Tony Bell you. And on the back of that defeat, he can hang his gloves up and say, that's boxing done. Like when he was, nobody wants to see Bellew again, maybe apart from Andy, with his head rested on that bottom rope. Fuck. No. Like, I don't want to see that again. And Tony Bellew is probably, if I look back in 10 years time, I think Tony Bellew can stand out amongst his peers as the epitome of what this era of boxing is about. Which is you don't have to be the best to be a multi-millionaire. You don't... He's had five world title fights. Lost three, won two. There are far better... Ricky Burns has a far more established CV within his career. What he's done is used his personality to get those fights, get those David Hay fights. He's used beef. He's used social media. He's used opportunity to earn those millions for him and for his children, probably for his children's children. I think in 10 years' time, when we look back, that will be his biggest legacy, is as a fighter, not necessarily he was the best in the world, but who was one of the best in the world at being able to sell 
a story. But he's world class. Tony Belli maximised yeah. maximised every possible fibre of of himself as a person and as a fighter. He could not have got more out of his career other than what Terry said earlier. Had he boxed as a cruiserweight his entire career, I think he's a, he was a completely different fighter. Like boxing at cruiserweight, you've got wins over like Masternak. That's a good win. Masternak's a decent level fighter. Obviously, Makabu, not an awful lot still known about Makabu as, as Has a, anyone found him since that fight? This is one, as an <laughs> opponent. But I, mean, but I, think it's, I think it's fair to say that the 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 Bellew that beat Masternak, I mean, obviously different experiences in his career, but the Bellew that beat Masternak is far different to the light heavyweight that got dropped a couple of times by Oval McKenzie. So if he's like, if he's boxing as a cruiserweight for his whole career, then who knows? But I think, I think Tony Bellew, I tweeted about this at like three o'clock in the morning after the press conference. And but he is done. He's not coming back. He's very content. He he boxed the best cruiserweight, arguably the best cruiserweight of all time. You could argue that. I mean, Holyfield is of course Holyfield, but what he did as a heavyweight obviously stands uh, stands what? his cruiserweight whoa, career. Whoa whoa, whoa. He, whoa, 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 whoa! Let me finish. Let me finish. There better, there better be another there's name gonna, on that list. Be, oh, David Hay. Okay, right. We'll, we'll come to that. Anyway, anyway, anyway. We've so you, beaten like, him, so... Like Belly said, you can, you can argue that. I mean, you might be wrong if somebody made, made the case for Holyfield. We'll come on to hey after, but we'll made the case for Holyfield, then fair enough. The exasperation like, in his yeah, voice. like, just please Telling. don't. But, um, <laughs> but, like, it's like you say, he can look back on his career. If he'd have got chinned like he got chinned by a lesser fighter... There could be an opportunity for him to come back. He's he he didn't need to fight Usyk. Didn't need to. He's got the money, got the belts. He's he's made already the most out of his career they ever possibly could. He wanted to fight the best cruiserweight in the world, arguably the best cruiserweight. Well, he's still time. gained from that, hasn't he? Yeah, no, people sure, sure. Still look, but like, but he, some people want to go. Wow, he did really well for a certain period of time. Sure, that's the narrative. He did, but he didn't have to. He didn't have to. He didn't have to risk getting iced, which is what happened <laughs> yeah. to. to to elevate his career. He could have still retired probably as an overachiever. So he can now look back safely and, and think, right, I did all of this stuff in my career, which he probably would never have imagined early on in the stage of his career. No, no, but why wouldn't you though? Like if you look at his amateur background, you would expect him to be reasonably good. Right? Yeah, no, no, sure. I'm not, so I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. He won the ABA. He's got into the England setup. You're looking at a man he fought who won the Europeans and Worlds, the Olympics, yeah. etc. 350 odd fights, well covered. Um, so, yeah, if you look at it on paper between those two, of course there's a huge yeah. difference. There's a gulf. Maybe getting borderline periphery England set up as an amateur, does that give you a right to go on and challenge for the world uh, titles? It's a WBC well, no, cruiserweight title, man. It's like it, a, I mean, obviously who he boxed and stuff, but still. Like, he's done very well in his career. And I think, like, you could tell that yesterday. That was kind of like I the first time I'd looked at Tony Belly and thought, do you know what, mate? Fucking fair play to yeah. you. You've I done think it and from where he was when he left Frank to where he yes. is now, you couldn't write you, that. You couldn't. And you know, I think Eddie Hearn deserves a lot of credit for what he's done with Tony Belly. I was going to say, I don't know who Tony's manager is. If he has a manager, it might be self-managed. Or whether Hearn has taken on that hybrid role, which he seems to be doing increasingly for boxers. Well, but... Whoever it is has done fantastically for him to be able to get that WBC title against Makabu at fucking Goodison Park. Like, what the fuck? That's like something out of a Rocky movie. Something out of a yeah. film. Yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, but but that whole that whole Makabu thing. You've you've got Hearn sold us the vision beforehand. This is the most avoided cruiserweight of all time. Sure. The heaviest hitting cruiserweight of all time. He's got everything. Like, and people bought it. <laughs> people bought it. 
It's like my Prius going 300 miles an hour again. Nobody questioned it. And then he turned up and he drops Bellew. So that immediately gives Hearn the narrative for afterwards. So I told you he was dangerous. But Tony's more dangerous. Tony got up from that. Despite the fact he was off balance and kind of just fell over and got up and did the job. But all that stuff, all that... That's what I say. In 10 years' time, to me, he will be the, the landmark, the, the groundbreaker of how you manage a career through narrative, not necessarily through wins. And that's kind of what he said in the press conference. He was like, you know, I've made my career of of boxing is at a state or certainly was at a state when he started like challenging for, for decent honours where nobody wants to see a fucking handshake. You want to see a gobby scouser who says, I want to fucking punch your fucking head in. That's what sells though. And yeah, that's what's, my that's my issue with that is that if you want to be that person, that gobby scouser, that gobby person that people want to go, you either like him, yeah, get in there and have a tear up or I want to watch him lose. If you want to be that person, be someone like Mayweather who on his outward persona is like, I'm bulletproof, come whatever you want, I don't give a fuck, I'm going to count the money you're giving me. But then, as soon as it suits his purpose of Bellew, he breaks down in tears and starts talking about all the sentimental things in his life and how he only boxes for his family. And it's like, and I feel like you can't have it both ways. You can't be this gen- genuine, like sympathetic uh, character who everyone, oh God, he's got a heart of gold. And then the next minute, gobbing off at people. I get, I get, I, I get that I for sure, but that doesn't mean you can't give him credit for what he's achieved. No, no, I, no, and I accept that. And, and look, you guys have educated me tonight and on, on the background of of where he's come from but and you can respect that I just can't buy into his character because it doesn't seem to be consistent and it also seems to be exploitative of, of people who, who can't see through you know like I say the contradictions in the way that he comes across but, but, but just to back on the thing where we're now talking about Usyk as the greatest cruiserweight ever and I'm like Holyfield's light years ahead of him I think when Holyfield fought Dwight Muhammad Kawi that would have been 86 and that was a cruiserweight I don't think there are boxers like that now. These teak tough guys who are really skillful. And Holyfield showed he could war with you. If you were a tricky boxer, he could catch you eventually. I, I, I don't... He's one of the people I look at and I go, I don't think there's anyone that's been born in that division that could have beaten a prime cruiserweight Holyfield. I can't... Dis- I'm not disagreeing with you. Maybe maybe, maybe Mr. Kane Rose on a good day catches him. <laughs> maybe he catches him but 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 the, the issue I always have with Hay in ranking him is I don't know if he had the stomach for a fight and I think and look at his body of work What's it, how does his body of work in any way compare to Usyk's or Holyfield's what a cruiserweight yeah how well, how well, more Mac and Macronelli well hold on hold, hold on hold on but we're talking about the belts right because if you look at the guys that Usyk beat a washed up Huck right yeah washed up Huck and then who was the other numpty he Bradis. fought Bladers, that that's another sky creation of oh this is this is this guy's this he's that not, not really. really because they they turned Bellew away from yeah. Bradis. But, don't forget that. But but, but Bradis over yeah. he beat up Simon Villini yeah. and then Sky went nah I don't think we yeah, fancy but, that. But they <laughs> no, no, got Bellew away from. But Bradis isn't a name that's going to travel through time. Gassiev definitely is not a name that's going to travel through time. So he got all the belts, but you don't you if you kind of feel. Of that sequence of fights, the Bellew fight was the hardest. Nope. That, that, this fight was the hardest. Agreed. Mm. I'd agree. Of course if, it is. If I looked at the World Boxing Super Series now, reflectively, and said, would Bellew have won that? No, he wouldn't. Of course he wouldn't. No. Usyk would. Would he have got to the final? Depends on his draw. Depends would on he the have draw. beaten Bradis? I don't think would he Would he have beaten Dortikos? Maybe. 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 Because has Dortikos got that? Has he got that, that, that 
stomach of a fight that Bellew's got. And, that, and that, that's what I'm trying to get to about the cruiserweights right now. I don't think Usyk's fought people where I'm like, if Usyk wasn't around, I'd be talking about the, one of these guys as a pound-for-pound pound guy. I wouldn't. That doesn't mean that he's not great. It's just... I haven't seen it's him. It's hard to judge him against yes. what he's got. Sure, I mean, you never know. He, you, your Gassievs and your Bradis might yeah. go on to... Become, say, for example, Gassiev or Bra- I mean, Bradis got... I haven't seen the fight, but apparently he got like a shocking robbery decision last night in World Boxing Super Series. I haven't seen it yet. Because um, cause if you, when I look at Hay, that's the question I have. Like The Hay that went through Mormick and Macronelli. They're not great names, and you probably imagine he was a bit casual with his training from what I've heard of people at that time. You wonder what he would have done at his peak. And he had to go to heavyweight because there wasn't anything at cruiserweight. And is that the trajectory that Usyk now has to go Yeah, but we don't to? have to wonder about what Usyk has done or achieved at cruiserweight because he's done it. It's not like... There are no questions left at cruiserweight. No, absolutely not. not. Like, so, but, he, so you have to compare them as cruiserweights of the time. I mean, I, I would give anybody Holyfield who wants to, to take... I, I would yeah. rank Holyfield over Usyk, but you can make the argument for Usyk. As I say, you might be wrong. I can't take the argument of Hay being a better cruiserweight uh, than As much than as Usyk. people give Bellew the credit for, like, he didn't have to go to cruiserweight to fight Usyk... Usyk didn't have to hang around at cruiserweight to fight Bellew. No. He could have stepped in. We know his ambition is to go to heavyweight. He could have done that straight after the World Boxing Super Series. Instead, he wanted to get rid of the question marks. And I imagine both of them didn't want to step away from that division or their career with that question mark. For Usyk, if he'd have gone straight to heavy, Bellew could have carried on by saying... Usyk's run from <laughs> Can you imagine? Usyk became like the uh, four-belt champion of heavyweight and Bellew's like, yeah, but he never took me on. Exactly. Well, he could have. <laughs> and he could have had a right to have done so. And, you know, conversely, Bellew could have um, retired or done whatever and Usyk said he never wanted any part of me. So, yeah, they've both taken a fight they didn't necessarily need to do. But mm. Usyk doesn't get the credit for that, whereas Tony does, which is a bit odd. Um, yeah, I agree. Samarali asks is Tony Bellew the prime example of boxing fans having short memories the people that were cheering him and making a case for him to beat Usyk last night were the same people giving him stick after Cleverly slash Stevenson fights because of his attitude man like go back to how he was then remember the press conference in the Everton tracksuit you fucking rat fucking rat we're doing it right now and then and then he did it with Stevenson he's just a midget Remember the way, and he was like, oh, dickhead. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to die in the ring. Yeah, there was, and so there were things that happened around those two fights where you're like, I'm glad he lost, right? But he's matured, and he's toned a lot of that down. You know, he's, he's evolved as a person. Now, so now you look at Tony, and I know, you know, the, the hay thing leaves a sour taste in the mouth, mainly because, you know, they, they don't just hold up and go, yeah, he was injured. It's like, I, you know what I mean? He tries to sell you like he beat a prime yeah. David Hay. He <laughs> yeah, does. He does, yeah. Come on. And also, <laughs> it's the, the Bellew fans that, like, sell you that same yeah, story. And I'm like, right. none of you have got the contrition to say, yes, he beat Hay, but. It's always, he hammered Hay. He stopped Hay. He was the underdog going in. Yeah, he stopped Hay, and that Hay would have beaten Joshua. No, he wouldn't. Well, why wouldn't Joshua fight him? It was him afterwards. Then? You know, that sort of mad well, yeah, logic. When, but this is kind of, you have to kind of remove yourself from all of the bullshit, man. And this, with, that's kind of what we've given him credit from the fight. I mean, like, I don't, like, I remember the press conference with Cleverly and the, the like, the, essentially a headbutt with Stevenson at the press conference, the midget yeah. weight drain and all that stuff. But, like, if you look at, Again, like not needing to fight Usyk, he went in there. He put up a. I think he was, despite not being dominated on the cards, was dominated in the fight. But he didn't have to do. It. I think like 
it's an emotional response that a lot of people are having to the fight that aren't really looking at just what the fighters chose yeah. to do in their careers and then fight. I love that whole thing about it was ahead on the cards. Like, it's just phenomenally... Three, three rounds, rounds on the one card, man. What I mean, mentalist... I mean, that's a judge that needs I to know, be fucking know, like, We already Jamie, know how you scored the fight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually Anderson, gave Bell you the first three Anderson, rounds. Anderson, 11 rounds up. <laughs> but I the actually, whole stuff yeah. like... Jamie Moore was on Twitter about... He was calling somebody out and saying, well, Bell, you was up on the cards at the time. Like, so fucking what? Like, and then he, you get all these people, oh, yeah... Kel Brook was up on the cards against Errol Spence, wasn't he? Like, yeah. was he up against Triple G, I think, on the cards? Yeah, it wouldn't have I've got a I can't remember. It was close, anyway. Like, was, do these yeah. things matter when you get flattened? Like, no, well, not that doesn't. early in the fight, I would argue. I could see people having, if it was the 12th round, and you're ahead by, I don't know, like you're seven rounds up or whatever, you could, or eight rounds, nine rounds up, then you go, oh, he's ahead on the cards as well, and it was a lucky punch. When it's like, as you've all said, that he's working him out for a the systematic. first three rounds, and yeah, yeah. and then he bring, then he basically brings him to his knees with a because Bellu was getting beaten up prior to it wasn't just one punch; he was getting systematically taken say, oh apart. My God, he lost the four rounds preceding yeah. the knockout. I yeah. mean, that's not to say again; it's not to strip anything away from his performance. He had to box well, as as we referred yeah. to earlier, to. To, for Usyk to show him that kind of respect, to continue to have to make adjustments, yeah. he had to box well. But I don't think he was ever in any danger of winning the fight. No. no. But also turn it around, the whole thing about being up on the cards. David Hay was up on the cards <laughs> yeah. against Tony Bellew yeah. <laughs> when his body broke. Yeah, but, but nobody... Bellew beat him, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's the... <laughs> David Hay. Prime Hay. He hasn't got like a half a win on his record for that. Like, no, he's got a loss on his record but the point for that, is but that's it, ignored by yeah, Bellew fans. Exactly, yeah. It negates their... Pre- it, whichever one you choose, it negates the other point. You can't point. have it both... You yeah. literally can't <laughs> have it both ways. But, but um, look, it poses an intriguing question though, doesn't it? Of Should you win fights with your head on the carpet no, but, and get knocked what, out? But, but <laughs> how far can Usyk go as a heavyweight? We say yes, frankly. <laughs> That's that 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 becomes an interesting question because I heard there is so, literally a question of that yeah, from someone. Someone, how far will Usyk go? Someone anyway? said, "Oh right, I, I could. Uh, I'm, well, I just, well, 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 I just don't want you to answer the question before I ask it. Well, is it about Usyk moving up to heavyweight? Yeah. Right. It, it, the question was um, Matthew Skelton asks, can Usyk get the decision in a Joshua fight without being robbed on the scorecards? Uh, that that was, that's when so that's when it becomes interesting. So you have got to ask a question: Does Usyk have power? People say, oh, he knocked out Bellew, but Bellew's been dropped so many times that, you know, it's not special. He's got like an 80% knockout ratio. Knocked out some tough guys. But he, no, 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 but but when when was the last knockout? Last t- night. No, no, take, no, no, no. <laughs> t- take Bellew out. <laughs> you asshole. No. You knew it's not what he meant. Stop Marco Hook. Hmm? Obviously an old hook, but stop yeah. Marco Hook. So, so, but, but there's no, there's no performance it's, it's the same thing with Joshua when you look at Joshua and you go Joshua's never really one punched anyone of note do you see what I mean and I look at Uthik I'm like you haven't really starched someone where you're like oh where you like you know where you believe the power is serious I don't think he's got that and the Bellu fight doesn't provide an indicator of that does he need it to succeed at heavyweight um well you're gonna have to keep Joshua off you right sure but I mean he he'd be Drop Joe Joyce as, as an amateur, so he can clearly punch. We've referenced earlier. We've referenced yeah, but, earlier with the difference. So did the, the Italian can... guy in the World Boxing Super Series. Like Joe, Joe's been put down. Like that's not a sure, but he's a you know he's a big guy. Is he any more or less durable than Joshua? Depends who you believe. 
Well, but, I'm asking you. Um, so I no, so, so, so I think the challenge you're going to have, right? Number one, you're going to have to get him to throw those shots, right? Against someone like a Joshua who I imagine he's he's in the Klitschko phase of his career now, isn't he? Where if he can jab, jab, hold, he will. Right? He's not he's not he's not gonna give us another Joshua Klitschko. He's just gonna do what he has to do to win. There's too much riding on him not winning. So But the Povetkin fight wasn't that. Fucking hell, you make me have to replay the fight in my head now. That's when he got his nose busted open. Yeah, he took a... And he did take it to That's when he had that kind of faux, like, weird shoulder roll thing going. That was like... Right? That was the fight, right? And that wasn't a jab and grab. That was essentially a firefight. But what you had in that fight, if you remember, was someone in Povetkin who wouldn't commit to throwing combinations. He'd almost thought, my left hook's going to knock this guy out. And he was just doing what he could to get that going. And you were like, uh, it's not enough against Joshua. You're going to have to combination punch the guy. Can I ask, what's, several the, times what's the size difference between Usyk and Joshua? Two like, inches in height. In I don't know. How tall well, was Usyk at? 6'4", 6'3 and a half. 6'4", So like a couple he's of inches. He's a big guy, man. Like, he's, he's but a, it's funny because he doesn't look that big so next to Bellew because he's they're exactly big, the same height. He's a big, he's a lot broader. He's thick. He's yeah. like, he's, and his wrists so, and his forearms. Yeah. So is he going... photo of him with Isaac Chamberlain yeah. when they show <laughs> Isaac Chamberlain is admittedly not a big cruiserweight, but Usyk looks so much bigger than him. And like being around him in fight week, like I interviewed him on Wednesday, like you shake his hand and it was similar to when I interviewed uh, David Hay ages ago and big guys have this thing, they kind of wrap their hand around your whole forearm. And you don't even bother hand. trying to squeeze. Yeah, like, because just have it. and Usyk had them like shovels, man. He's a big guy. He's Thick so, neck. I really so, became so, a fan of him last night. I so look, he I just, is. So, so the question becomes: scary style, how big scary do you go look. in the ring? Yeah, that, well, that's the question. I think, I, what, do, he, I, what do you think he came into the ring like? What two, two eighteen, two twenty, maybe? Depends. Okay. How? But, 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 what, what's his cut like? Would you think to make to make cruiser? Because he has to he he has to work hard to make cruiser. Right? Uh, what do you think? Probably. Do you know? What? It's a weird one. So it depends on how we rehydrate. But I'd imagine he's going in there about. Two, somewhere between 212 and 217, yeah. Yeah, so around, yeah. So, you're now looking at heavyweight. Do you then go up to 225, 227? And if you keep it lean, then you're probably as, you're probably the same size as a Dillian White but anyway. He's, he's going to have that same, that same movement and being able to go in and out and he's going to, without, without necessarily, no, no, I'm no, going to be not, posing not, questions no, no, if he does. No, no, not, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But, um, no, Rob, on this podcast, drugs are an issue. Say no to drugs. <laughs> But if he's if he's going in there at the same the same weight that he went in against Bellew, just not having the cut, surely that's going to help his stamina. If anything, he's not going to have to do the cut in the build up to the fight. He's still going to be as mobile, if not more mobile. But with additional weight that could hold. Yeah, him up potentially, but he doesn't necessarily need it to. Well, not necessarily. But if he's already going in there at like two seventeen, two eighteen, well, if he can keep that mobility. No, no, no. But here's the challenge, though, right? When you're going in at two two something as a cruiserweight. The dynamic's different. So you're hitting guys and it's having more of an effect on a relative basis. You go in at that weight against someone like a Chisora and he's like, this is nothing. You know, and he still comes forward. And then Usyk's like, that shit used to send people backwards. Can I ask? Now I don't have the same time that I used to have. What is he needs. Is it too he's going to have the same speed. He's going to still be able to set traps. He's got... But he's boxing like name a, a heavyweight with a better ring IQ than Usyk, and he's a big guy. It's not like he's a small cruiserweight moving up. He's still going to have the, the all of the the skills and the technical Tyson skills. Fury. <laughs> now, Potential. now, really? Well, like, yeah, you, you, said, you said like, ring, like, no, you said ring IQ. Though, okay, right? yeah, that's different. Okay, okay, ability to implement ring IQ. There, 
But I'll tell you on December the second. There we are. <laughs> but I mean, you talk about weight. I mean, obviously it's not the same. But like Wilder, how much? How much is Wilder weigh? Two fifteen in his last fight. Yeah. Is so it too simplistic to say that if someone's heavier, they got more power? Yes. Well, because it's a trade-off, right? Power is essentially speed times mass or some something. Like that. I've now got that wrong. But there's the two variables are. How heavy is the thing? How fast does it move? The heavier it is, sometimes the slower it so moves. So just moving up to heavyweight isn't going to make him more powerful punch. No, not, necess- not necessarily, but this is kind of like we were talking about the, the Bellew knockout last night. It didn't look like a big shot, but what it was, was a shot that he'd set up, he, he found the opening for the shot, he timed the shot well, and he landed it on the button. That's power. Power is like an arbitrary myth, bullshitty thing. Yeah, in that's boxing. true. It's not yeah, a real thing. So. Well, no, no, power, oh, power, no, no. Power, it, it is. No, no, okay, but that's a, for, I'm talking about from like, it's very basic thing, but knocking someone out, walking them into a shot, picking the right yeah. shot at the right time, so, setting them up, and mm. connecting the shot. Yeah. That's what knocked Bellew out. It wasn't, as you said like earlier, it wasn't a punch from hell, and he was. It wasn't. He didn't wing it. He hit and him actually, with a... you're talking about that that 20 seconds before to set yeah. up the movement. The, it, the it fucking round, seven rounds it's before, eight, seven eight rounds yeah. before that that actually led to the that three knockout. rounds where he doesn't look like he's doing anything, and Tony Bellew's three That's rounds up on the to card. That knockout. Yeah. It's him knowing that, okay, that straight left hand isn't going to get the job done. So what I need to do is take the step around, throw the DeGale, as you mentioned earlier, the DeGale left hand. That's what, that's go, power. That's not someone else. Go back to that initial question. The initial question was about could he cause AJ issues or would he get robbed? We've seen AJ has potential stamina issues going in past 8, 9, 10. We've seen Usyk yeah. doesn't have power, uh, stamina issues going 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. If he could implement that same ability to make Joshua work at his pace, not give Joshua those those thirty second rest periods that he enjoys, there's no reason he couldn't cause hell for an Anthony Joshua or any other heavyweight. Okay. But it depends upon what he's got coming back. But your team Usyk, yeah, your team Usyk going. Fuck me, uh, you might be able to take one of those Joshua punches. And this is the thing, and this is the thing people forget. It's like that classic thing. You know, you see these these videos, right? And these guys are doing their sit-ups. It's like, hit me in the stomach. And they do it. Get the ball. Yeah. And you're like, all right, you took that one. And people are impressed, right? They're impressed. But you're like, you think about that. There's only so much time you can do that before it all starts to hurt eventually. Yeah, yeah. Even, even if your son starts tapping you on the chin oh, after a while, you're like... I have play mm. fights with my son. And if he catches me correctly, he's nine years old... Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. So, Imagine. so, so, yeah. play fine, sparking his dad out every time. Get him in with Joshua. Yeah. I've gone to work with like a, a busted up lip before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Usyk, Usyk in his head might go, you know what, I can take these heavyweight shots. You know, you, you spar heavyweights just, I think he, he had Fabio Wardling camp for, for this one. Was it this one? I think it was. And so, yeah, they go, well, he's a big guy. He's got a good left hook. Hmm, I can take that. But it's different. 10-ounce gloves, round after round, even the cuffing shots, the bits that hit you here are taking shit out of you. So your tank as a heavyweight is going to empty faster than your tank as a cruiser. Okay, um, Danny yeah. Watley asks simply, does Usyk beat AJ? Possibly. I'd, I'd never answer hypothetical things. I'd Possibly. Know. But shout out to Danny, but man. Like, I, he's, can tell, he's, I can tell you that they really fancy that fight. They kind of said that at the end, didn't they? He has to fight AJ. He was asked a question question in the post-fight press conference. Is it now your dream to become undisputed heavyweight champion? And he said, no, it's not a dream. It's just what I'm going to do next. So it's just like, (laughs) literally just like, no, no, I'm going to do it. It's not a dream. This is reality. I'm going to move up to heavyweight. I'm just going to beat these guys. They really fancy that fight. Alex Krasiuk, all of the team that are around him, they're like that 
crazy. It's very, it's very different. They had that crazy like Michael Hunter against Bacoli confidence where it's like, no, no, we'll we're, we're, we'll beat him. Yeah, we'll yeah. fight him, well, no problem. But it's, whether he does or not, I mean, they have that mentality, and they, they, he clearly can't walk straight into the Joshua fight because Joshua's tied up April, and then yeah, yeah. back end. They're talking about back end 2019. What you have to fear is that Hearn is going to steer him away in the same way he did with Luis Ortiz is going to steer him in some way away from Anthony Joshua. That's As a boxing fan, that's the biggest fear, is that we don't get to see it, because now Hearn's got him under the DAZN stable. Like They find another thing for him to do, whether that's guard people coming up away from Joshua, or whether that's chase down Deontay Wilder and you know take less money than Joshua's demanding for it, frankly. Like, whether it's one of those two routes, I hope neither happen. I hope we do get that Joshua fight. Yeah, I, I would like... Remember we did the live podcast and there was the question, who is who would you rather see Joshua fight other than Wilder? Usyk. That's, that's, that's the... You know, that was what was shouted out. And, you know, that's, that's an interesting style. It's whether he can win the fight or not, he's... We've seen Parker, we've seen Takam with movement. Not necessarily sophisticated movement, frustrate AJ, go the distance, or when I mean, Takam was on his way to going the distance. Usyk, Usyk is 6'3", uh, Parker is 6'4", Usyk's got a longer reach, he's a better boxer, I think it's fair to say. Not massively different frames. His arms look fucking huge. Like, like it looks like orangutan arms. He was, when, his arm, when he was, had his guard up last night, it looked like, they looked like extensions on a forklift like his elbows were touching the mat and his forearms were six foot long he just seemed to be this giant but like he could tuck up and guard mass, both his a, stomach and his head are. if you look at most boxers they have freakishly long arms because was, you think it was free like a rangatang yeah because yeah, yeah. year after year you're in there you're like because I look at him my arms are too short so like I've got a friend who, I, who, who trains with us as well a guy called Linton like, he's 6'4 but his arms are down by his fucking ankles <laughs> You're, they're, they're down by they're his ankles. Guard him, he's not so, standing behind two poles. Yeah, so, so, honestly, so, so when you're watching him box as an amateur, even as a heavyweight, his arms are so long, he could whip shots in from weird angles. And you're watching his knockout record, you're like, fucking hell, whaff. Because his arms are long enough. Whereas <laughs> I can't do that. I'm like, well, I'm going to hit his elbow. It's <laughs> but I think- and he was incidentally, before like life got in the way, he was lined up to fight Joshua. They were kind of novices at the same time. And he would have wiped Joshua out. There would have been no AJ after that. Because <laughs> he was just going through everyone. Just knocking him out. What's clear with Usyk? He needs something to step into in heavyweight. Before he gets that Joshua fight, there's a time period and an adjustment period. What's Dave um, Allen doing? Well, I see, like, <laughs> why don't he clean out Liverpool? Where's David Price at? Because then we can get Johnny Nelson telling us if he lands that right hand, the right hand he hasn't thrown since 2011. Like, if he's he... coming. He's been sent from 2000. He's coming. He's on his way. <laughs> when it is going to sonic boom his way into <laughs> fucking existence. Um, what about Joseph Parker? Yeah, Usyk, I don't want to ever see him again. Oh, I'd like to see Usyk. Usyk. Parker. He Parker. Can. Well, okay, least deserving heavyweight champion I can think of, Joseph Parker. Charles Martin. No, 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 no. And here's why. The Glasgow fight was a hilarious no, embarrassment. No, no, but here's why. Well, did he, it no, no, yeah, he, no, here's I hit why. Him so right. hard in the stomach that his knee fell out. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but that's brilliant. He didn't though. even land the body shot. I want to. Okay, let's have Martin against Parker. 
I'm not fighting Parker. I don't want to see. <laughs> I don't want. Don't want to see Charles Martin. I just don't he want to see Parker sharing again. Of you, mate. Like, so the, reason, the reason why I say that is because first. is because <laughs> Parker. I mean, Hearn has, has spoken about wanting to do stuff with Parker. Parker's still very young. He's somebody who's known. Somebody known over on these in these parts. Plus, there's always a theory or a thought process that, and I think when Parker came back to fight White, when Takam came back to fight Chisora, in that. Do they get paid everything in one go for fighting Joshua? Or is there a second like yeah. drop of that? Like, we'll give you a two-phase contract. Four million for Joshua, but you've got to take two. If you lose, you're taking two million to come back and fight somebody else in our state. Incremental or they split it out, two million. Yeah, over. in some way. I've always thought there's probably... Because you look, any of the foreign overseas bigger names, the heavyweights, get that second or, phase or, with matchroom. So maybe, always, maybe it's just options. It provides fans with a barometer, doesn't it? Yeah, like, and yeah. once you've gone through that process, you might as well just keep reusing it. Or, because yeah. we know Takam was beating the shit out of Chisora before Chisora landed that, that shot. We know Joseph Parker was giving shit to Dillian White. Like, nearly finished him in the 12th round. So, as you say, there's a barometer. We know what these lads are about now. So, Hearn's probably got a fairly good relationship with David Higgins. Yeah, David yeah. Higgins probably needs some more skag. So... <laughs> wow. You know, Rob, Rob's this guy, fucking hell. Uh, there's so much love on this podcast. No, um, but uh, look, I think... I've got three more questions I need to uh, feed well, you guys. How far are we in Four. now? I'm fucking... Very, two, very far. Two and a half. Two hours, 45 minutes. Jesus. Danny Watley Sorry, asks... Mate, I have no idea I, if there are any trains now. I I hear that David Price will be fighting on the next match from pay-per-view. Can you discuss where you think Hearn is trying to take Price and if there's any points? So Price for me, he tweeted out a while back um, when he was trying to sort out the fight with somebody and he put in there to Eddie Hearn, Eddie, these were the words verbatim, you owe me a fight. What I was just saying there about the two-phase contracts, I suspect when he fought Povetkin, then fought Kuzmin... That Kuzmin one was very late notice. Kuzmin was one of the Povetkin team. He was brought in. I'd imagine, and I'm not saying this happened at all, but just I'm imagining, um, they contacted David Price, said, look, can you just fight this lad, Kuzmin? Because people know who you are in Britain. We need somebody on a Joshua undercard. Can you come in and fight him? And you're probably going to get beaten up, so you can tear your shoulder or whatever, save yourself for another day. You know when he went out with that injury that... um, Take that fight, and then we'll get you a Lucas Brown, a Dave Allen. We'll get you someone like that in the new Isn't year. Isn't the rumour that he's going to fight Takam? I think that's that's just something that I saw. Oh, I, I might have not sake. seen it, but I, I think mean, I think it's wow, Price Takam. I think that'd be a great fight to, that to me miss. Is Ricky Burns Scott Cardle all over again, but just with bigger men in the ring? Like neither of them are going anywhere. Hmm. <laughs> Everyone forgets, like. Like the, the, this, this reinvention of Takam. Takam was everyone's sparring partner in his peak years. <laughs> That's who he was. He was known as like, how the fuck is this guy now getting these kinds of but fights? Was he how bad is not, that? Not just a sparring partner. He was a reserve for a fight. That's but, right. Is that, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, he was definitely a reserve for a fight because Eddie told us that. Yeah, he so was I can't training. Question that. He was training for it, wasn't he? Uh, he was definitely in training camp for it because Eddie told me. Um, but yeah, what kind of fighter keeps himself like phone charged 24 hours a day just in case a world title fight gets pulled out? What the fuck? Um, okay, Kev Morrow asks, since the early 90s, um, in brackets, when I started watching boxing, uh, can you... You've got 20 years on me then, Kev. Uh, can you rank your best, five best British fighters, all weights included? 
So if you can think of them on the spot, it'd be nice to have five off of all of you. Clinton but... Woods, Carl Froch, Nigel Ben. Uh, well, we got, is there a Joe Calzaghe in there or not? I'm going to put Joe in there. Because I thought Joe from amateur to pro was spectacular. And then... Ricky Hatton, yeah? Lewis? No. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I might have to put Lewis, Lewis in there. What about no Naz? No, no, no. You know, I feel, I feel, I feel uncomfortable with Lennox because Lennox kind of did his learning in Canada for me. So if I wasn't going to put Lennox, I'd put Naz in there because he he defied boxing logic. It was between those two for the last slot, but the others like Clinton Woods, like come on, man, you're in with Tarby, in with Jones, you're in with Glenn Johnson three times. Like, how tough a man are you? Do you know what I mean? Mine isn't about who's the best. Mine's just who who have I grown up with from the early 90s onwards? Who have I enjoyed? Naz. Robin Eubank Deakin. Senior. That's what I'm waiting for. Robin Deakin. <laughs> Waddy. Frick. Naz. Eubank Senior. Ben. Uh, Lewis Froch. It's just who I've grown... Like, that's the phases that I've, I've gone through. Rob? Go Naz, Calzaghi, Lewis, Froch, Nigel Ben. I can't wait for Whites. Cordina, <laughs> Josh Kelly, <laughs> Dave Allen. <laughs> Uh, well, what about I, yours, Andy? Uh, yeah, the, the, apparently, I, I wasn't even going to answer it, to be honest. But I, 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 would, I would have to answer it the same way Martin Bell, Is this going to be a bit like that scene in The Office where they ask him for like, what are the five improvements you'd make? And he's like, I'll give you three. And then we'll see if we need the other two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the only, I used to love watching Naz. So that, that's all I can really answer in that respect. I really got excited when Lennox Lewis was... The, f- the first British heavyweight that I'd ever known about, like, frankly. So Frank I was Bruno. Well, that's true, but I didn't really ever watch boxing at that point. I just saw him on HP Source adverts. That's what I remember as, <laughs> as Frank Bruno, if I'm honest. <laughs> the panto uh, phase. Yeah, that's, that's what I honestly remember of him. So it was, it, which seemed exciting for me in that respect. Um, I, and then so I suppose more recently, I really enjoyed watching Carl Froch. And that was probably one of the first boxing shows I went to. I think it might have even been the first one. Um, was the second George Grove fight. So shows, shows people how... No, you went to Yusuf Mack. One... Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, so it's one of the first ones. I won't move but... you to that. Um, Dog pound. And then, like, <laughs> you guys have, you guys have all said, like, up. Eubank Senior and Ben, but I didn't really watch those fighters. So there's the three. If we need another two, I'll come back to No, no, but honestly, this is for the yeah. audience. Just go and do your knowledge on Clinton Woods and realise he is quite possibly the the guy whose legacy is least respected but should be even more respected for what he did. Because he was... You know, we talk about daring to be great. And Clinton Woods... Imagine that, man. He's like, do you want to fight Roy Jones? Yeah. yeah. And that wasn't like a, like a Roy Jones now. That was like a Roy Jones who could still mm. go. Mm. Do you want to fight Tarver? Yeah. That's... The magic man. He could, I mean, Southpaw could bang with that hat, with the backhand. And then you're going to fight the toughest man in the world, Glenn Johnson, three times. Okay. Jim McKenzie. Underrated? Uh, uh, Underappreciated career? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like we've got, I think we've got either his son or his nephew, little Ellis, 
who's now taking up boxing. He's like 16 or something. Jesus Christ, the kid can move. Okay, uh, Jonesy K-Dog asks, uh, what defines a good career in boxing? Money, pay-per-view headlines, quality opposition, fans' opinion of you, multiple titles. Uh, what what Legacy. counts most? Legacy. You At every stage in your career, from when you first laced on a pair of gloves, you have to have been beating people that went on to be good as well. That's how I judge you. So in the amateurs, I'm going to look at you and go, who did you beat? What did they go on to do? Then I'm going to look at you in the pros and go, did you have any, any tests in the first 10 fights? Then the next 10. I want to know that you're not this guy that just mysteriously came out of Sheffield and nowhere and all of a sudden you're brilliant. I'm like, no, this guy's been good through every level. Example, Ted Cheeseman. Ted's been good at every level. Anthony Fowler. And I know people don't like Fowler, right? I don't. But look at his amateur record. Like, if you're beating guys like Callum Smith, if you're beating guys like, uh, who was the middleweight who was British champion? Was it Liam? Not Liam Cameron. Uh, fuck knows. The guy that Liam beat in the ABA final anyway. Fowler beat people who went on to be good, right? So you have to respect that. That's what makes a good career. You look at Ali. Ali beat Frazier, 64 Olympic heavyweight champion. Beat Foreman, 68 Olympic heavyweight champion. You know, he jumped in with Spinks. Wasn't Spinks 76 Olympic? He, Ali Floyd, Floyd people. Patterson, another Olympic gold medalist as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Missed that one. So he fought people. You're like, he fought people who went on to be great. You can't dispute that record. And then you look at someone like Tyson. This is always my bugbear, right? Tyson didn't beat anyone who was of note. He didn't beat any of his life. There wasn't anyone like Holyfield was his first real fight against someone you could class as a peer of his, and he melted. I think the idea of legacy will change over time, and like because now we're so much more aware of what boxers earn or how boxers earn it, or all those things that Hearn's kind of opened the door a little bit to and given people a glimpse into. So now you get so many fans. Like, do you think anyone really back in Ali's day was talking about how much money he's got? Has he got enough millions for his kids and his grandkids? They yeah. did it at the Rumble in the Jungle. Wasn't he like the first five million pound yeah, purse? Yeah, they've got five million each for Rumble in the Jungle. Which would have made headlines. But now it wouldn't people... Have, certainly wouldn't have been as much of a part of the narrative. Yeah, so now you yeah. see all this talk on Twitter about Bellew and mm. Bellew... You know, like, if you say Bellew didn't do very well, I guarantee you somebody will come back and go, wait, did brilliantly. He's got enough money for his wife, <laughs> enough money for yeah. his kids. Yeah. So the idea of legacy, I think, will change over time. Not necessarily about how many belts did you win, how many world title fights did you win, but how well have you done for yourself? Because people have got this odd obsession as if they're getting a percentage cut of Tony Bellew's I think that's purse. just across the board, though, isn't it? Like, this you look at footballers. Football, 350 it's grand so, a week. Yeah. Why do I give a fuck it's what plastered all, all over the papers, isn't it? Or Raheem Sterling's taken, or yeah. what he spent that money on. Yeah. If he's bought his mum a house, brilliant. Well done to him. Yeah. Love I that. don't care. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't get to live in that house yeah. once a week. Okay. It yeah. makes no difference. But, but, but back to what we were talking about earlier, right? Think of the five fighters you listed, the five fighters you listed, the bullshit effort you had. <laughs> he pointed and, at and, Andy. And, and, no, no, but immediately, right? When you think Nigel Ben, look at all the stuff that comes into your head immediately. The fights, who Nigel Ben was. That's what a legacy is. No, I agree completely. It's, yeah. it's what you see in your mind and how you feel when that name comes up and you're like, ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not doubting it. I'm just saying that uh, fans are educated in a different way now that actually some of that and, has and, been diluted and, by... And, and, and this is what the hobbyists do. 
I mean, what AJ said he wanted to be the first billionaire boxer. I mean, what? I mean, what not, kind not of ambition? I want to be the is... first heavyweight to defend the world title fifty times. Yeah, that's what you know. That's what he's putting out there as an ambition. Yeah, you remember that all, that all of the belts nonsense that they were on about before? I think they've chilled on that now. They're like, well, three of the belts. <laughs> well, we've got four. <laughs> they just tell everyone the IBO is the best one, and we'll just say we've got four. We'll just WBC's bullshit anyway. Can anyone turn IBO <laughs> into WBC? Bits of <laughs> on there. The end of the O. Um, both green, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. 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 Having, having now held an IBO belt, shouts out to Big Joe. British Warriors debut coming soon. Yeah, just Big Joe. Nothing else needs to be said. Big Joe. All uh, right, last Can question. Up to, like, yeah, last fucked. question. What, what is your opinion uh, of what happened of Warren and B, the BT deal? What happened to the 30 shows a year? And do BT need to give another promoter some dates? Rob, see him, Warren, tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe you can ask him. Um... <laughs> Do, do I edited said, that do, out. Do just, just Rob just went on a 20-minute tirade and I've just <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> it made Andy so, about so, you look Yeah, so Rob. So Rob, do you really think that about him? Really? <laughs> Beep. <laughs> no, look. I love yeah. you, Uncle Frank. <laughs> but, but, but remember, we discussed this when the deal was announced. We said it was a bit cosy that the guy running BT Sport was Xbox Nation. So you imagine Frank just kind of said, look, <laughs> this is what I want. But the reality of trying to deliver 30 shows a year in a market where everyone's trying to deliver more shows, it's hard to find, as Martin said many times, it's hard to find some of the lower level opponents to make these cards viable. It's getting more and more expensive. There are all of these things that contribute to So I think maybe they're just being realistic now and going, well, actually, 30 wasn't enhancing the product. Maybe we can deliver... 15 to 20 really good 30 cards. would be such a watered down sack of shit because that stable's not that good frankly like it's good in places and at the top end some of it's really good but there's not enough middle ground to prop up 30 shows a year like let's be honest about it I, I don't think there would be a match room we're seeing if they all combine together would there be enough to have 30 quality yeah, exactly. shows like Match room. We're seeing the the standard of these DAZN shows. It's dog shit. <laughs> Despite the fact they sold out in Kansas within six minutes, I believe it was. Well done, Eddie. Um, but shout out to Hannah Rankin for next weekend. Hope she does brilliantly. <laughs> I, 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 look, I, I'm going to be full Johnny Nelson now. And go, I just think Hannah Rankin can knock Clarissa Shields out. I think she's got more tattoos. <laughs> Yo, Han, Hannah's, Hannah's looked after more farm animals. <laughs> And and that's an important Key indicator. Matrix. Yeah. No, no, no. But, I love, but I just, seriously. I just came into my home and you said about the uh, Kansas show being sold out. I just wondered if there's still tickets on like, when you when you look across, when DAZN expands, they're going to be like, Sturb Herb in America, Stubby O Hubby O in Italy, and Stubben Hubben in Germany that have all their, all their tickets for sale. I'm We're a, sold out. I'm amazed for this Kansas one. that Hearn hasn't just got the credit card out, bought all the tickets and then refunded himself. Well, like 50 cent. Show, just so that it makes it look a little bit more full. I would have. Oh. Well, I like when 50 cent bought the Jar Rule tickets. <laughs> sat in the middle. <laughs> what a man. What a man. Um, before we go, though, I've got one yep. question for Rob that if I don't ask it, Babs will give me shit oh, on Twitter. Babs. We almost, how long have we been doing this? Uh, just shy of three hours. I really like three hours. That's the long. Come on then. In fact, it'll be give three hours your, in 10 uh, seconds. What was it like working for Michelle Joy Phelps and how do you feel about it now? Okay, right. Um, so we've got his guard down. We spent three hours building up. <laughs> so you, you've, ta- you've taken my, my comments earlier about the art of interrogation too literally. Um, 
I don't feel comfortable saying anything on here that I haven't said to Michelle's face. I've seen Michelle a lot recently. Um, I've only spoken to Michelle once since I left behind the gloves, which was White Parker fight week. We crossed each other on the stairs. We said hello, and that was the last we've spoken. I think her idea of what constitutes journalism and my idea of what constitutes journalism are different. Um, some people aren't meant to work together. Some people have different ideas of what constitutes working in a working relationship. And I think they were drastically different in all, in all cases with me working with Michelle. I don't have any feelings towards her now at all, either good or bad. Um, what she does doesn't impact on my work or my ability to do my job. You have very different audiences. Yes. And that's really all I care to say about Michelle. Um, I'll stop short of saying I wish her well, but I don't have any real opinion on anything that she necessarily does. And as I say, I don't feel comfortable in saying anything Anything you haven't already got out there? I mean, no, no, not anything that I haven't... I don't want to be... And it's not because I necessarily care what, what Michelle would say or, or would think, but I don't want to be the type of person who says something on a podcast... Horrible that I've not, that I've, No, that I've Me not neither. said to her... Yeah, not you, like you and Tony <laughs> Bellew. Um, that I've not said to her face. And as I say, it's nothing to do with how she might react or how she would feel. I just don't want to be that guy. I don't want to That's say something to a, a mass audience of people. It's not that big. I wouldn't worry. <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to dozens of people. Uh-huh. Um, we sold out in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So here's my question. Like, talk us through boxing social because I think a lot of people are going to be like, well, we know what you do, but to a lot of people, it's come out of nowhere. So I can only, I can only say that I first knew of boxing social being out on the piss with Glenn McCrory, right? And over a couple of vodkas, Glenn was like, mate, because I showed him my website. He's like, listen, you don't want that. Come on to Boxing Social. And he told me, uh, and I was like, thanks, but no thanks. Exchange numbers, should have really used it, didn't. Oops. And then drifted off. Then I met a guy called Neil Kettlebra. And, you know, you know, he, over a few drinks again in Sheffield, he was talking about how big boxing social was. So, so he runs an online marketing company from, well, this might be old news and I can see Rob's face just twisting, right? There was a marketing company involved there and an offshoot <clears> of that became boxing social. And he was talking about they do 60 million views a month or something globally. And I, was, I know enough about online metrics to go, yeah, really? But we're talking it through. Even the best porn in the world yeah. would be hitting those numbers. Yeah, so we're going but through. The best porn in the world. Yeah. And interview Martin Bacoli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, 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 so, sorry, Ryan from Cyclone. I love you. Yeah, no, no. So, so you have a look at that and then you go, okay, what's next? He's like, oh, we want to start streaming boxing shows. I was like, oh, really? And then I just kind of lost interest at that point because I was like, I don't really need to be part of a big machine doing stuff. I just like throwing rocks at stuff boxing related and I like doing that for no money. Brilliant. So what Steve Bunce. Yeah. No, no, so, so <laughs> he's just told no. us how he met Glenn and Neil. <laughs> no, no, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. So so that was kind of the genesis of it. It was like this platform oh. where you had all kinds of waifs and strays like that that Ben, ben Doughty involved. So for me, I was just like That was how I first knew. Yeah, you are who you associate with. So then uh, when you went up there, I was like, 
maybe there's going to be some some purity, some clarity here. So would love your view on <clears throat> boxing social, that kind of overview, who they are, who's behind it, what really goes on. Well, obviously my job is I'm head of content. So I everything that we put out, whether it's articles, uh, interviews, anything that we do comes through me. Um, with regards to, so that means I have, as I mentioned earlier, I have a, a team of writers head up by the magnificent Craig Scott, who... Um, boxing socials. Craig. Boxing socials, Craig Scott, Sam. Um, <laughs> Mickey Helliot's best friend. Yeah, who um, who who's on the verge of having his Twitter confiscated. Um, but yeah, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not mad enough to take Craig's Twitter away from him. But anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, with regards to, I mean, you mentioned Glenn and and Ben. I don't have really anything to do with either of them. Neil um, is involved in various other business that I don't. Again, I don't. Uh, I don't really have much to do with it. So, what are the other bits then? So, because I, you'd have to ask Neil. Well, no, but but uh, so I'm confused. You're head of content yes. and the things that are put out. Yes. So, I imagine Ben and Glenn must do some kind of content. Like, no. So, well, I don't think <laughs> Ben's involved at all anymore, is he? Or no, but, but, so, he used to so do they, like they, gym visits, didn't he? Videos of gym I think, visits. So, like, we, we obviously we have freelancers that we use um, for various different things. Ben is somebody who can, you know, contribute. If we if he has, say, an interview with somebody, he can come to, to us and say, well, I'm going to interview this this person and we can then take it for a fee or not. Um, it's just the same as any other, and other that, company. And that goes really. through you. Are you, the, are you the, the guy that makes that call? Yeah. Yeah. So, um... But again, Glenn, when there are things that for, for Glenn to, to do with the company, obviously Glenn's somebody who's got a big profile, um, then he does it. But I mean, at the minute for the content side for full time, it's myself and Andy Puruel, who I was hoping to, uh, we're what, three hours in, he's definitely not going to be listening at this stage because if he's sitting down listening to a podcast for three hours, I'm going to fire him. Um, but, <laughs> sorry. Well, even, even on his day time. off. Yeah, what day off? You don't get a day off, you're a journalist. Okay, Michelle. No, there's this the truth, man. Like I mate, I've had since I started at Boxing Social in May, mid-May, I've had three days off. On a side note though, really happy that you got that because obviously, like, you know, I kind of indirectly lived through the the bump in the road. Hmm. And so to see where you are now, I just look you know where you look at you just go, I'm happy for him. How much of a hit is it on your family life? Because you've got a little girl, Mrs. Um, like I'm the only one in this room aside from you who's had sex with a woman and can prove it so um, I know how hard it is like, if no I wait, mate I want to oh, 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 I want tests <laughs> I want tests you can test my transformers duvet <laughs> fuck off um, for stains <laughs> so yeah like if I'm away from work for a couple of nights or, or from home for a couple of nights of work like that's often quite hard but you've got a little one who's growing up, misses. I know the stresses that that puts a family under. Like that must be really fucking hard. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's it's hard. It's very hard. Um, my daughter is now coming up to 15 months, which directly coincides with only parents say 15 months. Yeah, I know. It's like, it everyone else is like, Ooh, she's a year. But yeah. anyway, you know, she's, she's 15 months. So it directly coincides with me You're working full in time in boxing. Yeah, exactly. Before then, I was part time a contributor, would interview or write articles or what have you. Um, but it's difficult. I miss my daughter a lot while I'm away. Um, I'm away a lot. This week I've been in Manchester. I went to Manchester. So the last two weeks, so I went to Glasgow last week. I went on the Wednesday morning. So I was up at like four to catch a flight. 
worked like a madman, came back on the Sunday night at like 11.30pm, obviously by which time my daughter's asleep. Monday, my partner's now back at work after we've had the kid. So um, shout out Lara Tebbett, holding it down. Um, so that's that's the daughter, by the way. Um, yeah, shout out 15-month-old. But anyway. Um, she listens. Yes, yes. Um, so the Monday, I had my daughter all day. And obviously I've worked. I mean, I rack up the hours, man. I probably, even now, still do like, 70 odd hours a week probably um with a lot of traveling involved uh the monday i had to look after my daughter all day so it's hard does it miss to support you a bit yeah i mean she's great man like so shout out kelly right? shout out kelly yeah. skevington not, not many women no like. and it's and it's difficult and i'm i'm not at home half as much as i'd like to but i mean like before i did boxing man i was like i mean i still i still am quote unquote an actor i have an agent and you know it's a conversation that i've been putting off for a while that obviously now i'm in a full-time job where things are going well get a good wage and i'm yeah. involved in a business on a day-to-day -day, but hollywood dream dying no there's been, there'll be another creed film the kind of angle that i'm getting at with that is like LFI. before i started working full-time in boxing man i'd work like once every three months and like having a kid which wasn't planned um you're not gonna plan to have a kid when you're an out-of-work actor like and then you know kind of like my daughter being born and me getting the opportunity to work full time at something that I loved obviously I've been a big boxing fan since I was five six kind of gave me like a crazy drive I'd gone from being like a couch potato former stoner to like a workaholic essentially to provide former for stoner yeah <laughs> so, like to to provide for for my family but I mean yeah I don't I don't get as much time at home as I'd like I I'm away in shit hotel. Like, I'm going to LA for Wilder Fury. And everyone's like, oh, it's going to be great to be in LA. I'm like, yeah, mate. I'm going to be in a dingy hotel room for like 70 hours that week working while my daughter's at home, like tottering around looking to it's take her first step. You're missing yeah, I, I used to travel with work and it's never as glamorous as it it's sounds. Never. Not, it's definitely not. How many times do you guys hear me tell you I've got to go from here and I've got to fuck around in Leeds for three or four days? In a travel and lodge. No, no, no. Double Tree all day. Shouts out to the Double Tree. Uh, what? No, don't shout. You don't need a shout out. <laughs> shout out shouts to Double yeah, Tree. Shout out to Lauren Maguire. Man. He always looks after me when I go there. Man. I really look after me. That. I don't care. <laughs> but here's, what, so here's the thing. Like, number one, sympathize with you because people don't realize that boxing can really ruin your life. Like I remember I said this to Martin and Andy before. There was a point where taking lads out to shows twice a week you're losing your weekends you're trying to plan stuff and then in the end i just had to say no more and i just said listen i'm not doing shows unless by exception because it grinds you down but where are you, where do you want to take boxing what's the rob tebbett view on five years from now this is where rob tebbett should be well i originally wanted to be head of boxing for hbo but that's gone down the toilet <laughs> maybe i'll bring hbo back into boxing i don't know um i haven't thought that far ahead i could never ever have imagined that when i started doing boxing i'd make do you know what it is if i if i wasn't doing my job now i'd still be spending very like hours a day on facebook boxing chat rooms like good ones where you have real in-depth discussions if you disagree with somebody they're not a cunt you know you just you just differ in opinions and to to be able to make a living out of that i kind of haven't i haven't really thought much past what I currently do now I love my job I love my job as hard as it is and it is fucking hard people really don't understand just how hard working full-time in boxing can be tomorrow I'm back to Manchester again 
like I've come back from Manchester today for those listening on the pod. I mean, Friday we <laughs> had podcast go and use it straight back on the train. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so when my, um, like my daughter, we haven't left her with a babysitter or anything yet. So my partner's back at work. Her parents who usually take my daughter couldn't look after her on a Friday. So I came back from Manchester on Thursday night after the presser, having worked all day, Wednesday, Thursday, well, all day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but particularly Wednesday and Thursday to look after my daughter all day on the Friday while still working because I had a guy at the, the weigh-in, Andy. Um, and then again, it's like Saturday, Sunday, now I'm back in Manchester tomorrow. It's hard. It's re- it is really hard. And if I didn't love my job and I didn't have the support network that I do have, I just wouldn't be able to do it. And I'm very grateful for kind of the opportunities that boxing has given me. I haven't really thought too much further ahead than that. I mean, I'm very happy with kind of the position that I'm in. I feel like I deserve it. I work very, very hard. Um, however that sounds, I don't really give a fuck. Like, <laughs> I don't really care. I deserve it because I work fucking hard. Um, and yeah, uh, just take it every fucking workout weigh-in or whatever as it comes every article that you know and just go from there really yeah. follow-on question from that then I'm surprised you know what? I, feel, I, feel, I, feel like, I feel like I should just like there should just be like a hand in the boxing social microphone here <laughs> just just there but no no I feel like I shouldn't be here if that's okay are you wanna... do you sometimes sit there and look at ways you can play with the formula because if you look at like boxing media as it stands right yeah, there's variations at the fringes, but essentially it's much of a muchness. So it's more that playing with the format. Can you try new things? Can you take a few risks and see if boxing fans are receptive to new ways of developing boxing content, new kinds of boxing content? Yeah, sure. I think it's important to do that. So we we have people... So I have um, Andy who... This is the content team. So it's myself and Andy who have full-time. We also have a couple of guys who work in the office um so we're, we're constantly putting our heads together. with regards to kind of like new groundbreaking methods not really um certainly for online and the way that people certainly view online but kind of get their content online yeah i think that's important to always i don't see we're not just a youtube channel for those of you who don't know we obviously have a website our facebook and our twitter like our youtube is like our third or fourth most important thing whereas a lot of online it's their only thing and that's not like a this was just true so like it's kind of working out how we can reach more people across social media and kind of like the 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 different types of content that that we can produce to maximize across different social platforms rather than just i mean as much as i love interviewing people uh, there is more to sort of digesting content than just interviewing people but it's kind of working out the best way to do that we're still very new on the scene um certainly the last six months has, has gone very well um and it's kind of like we're at a point where after three months of me of my plan when i joined i had like an 18 month plan that we fucking did in three months like numbers that i wanted to hit we'd done it in three months and it was kind of like fuck right now what do we so we're kind of like playing catch up a little bit i guess mentally with kind of where we are as a company now and what we're looking to do so while we're kind of looking at new ways to do things we're still very much finding our feet as our own company i guess right i think that brings us to a natural natural as if any mother end. Is listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was <clears throat> no i found that 
fascinating so listening, listening to listening to Rob. I mean, so sorry, sorry, lads. <laughs> um, right, there is nothing else. I'm not even going to ask. There is no any other business tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Rob is our any other business. Just, just before, just before we go, if he is still listening to this, I, I've taken on a young man called Andy Purewell. Um, I am a fucking nightmare to work for because I work very hard. I have retardedly high standards and he 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 work he works underneath me and I feel sorry for him a lot of the time but also don't because you know working in boxing is great Andy Pure well, if you're still listening to this keep up the good work Andy I'm, has been fantastic Andy has been and, you, and, and you've been fired if you're still listening <laughs> well no if you don't hear this then you're fired <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, come okay. to me and say the secret password which I will say now and if you don't say it to me you're sad Andy the secret password is suck my cock <laughs> so you have to go up to your boss Rob and say that and if you don't you're sacked <laughs> but I mean like you you guys will know certainly Martin like working in boxing man like Andy's a really nice normal kid good on him I've never met him but I've, I really enjoy his, his videos but Working in boxing, you can't be a really nice, normal kid, which is horrible to say, but you have to be a bit uh, nuts. I, I don't work in boxing. I, I know a lot of people that do. Those that are really, don't, really... You don't need to be a dickhead, put it that those way. Those are like, really, <laughs> really, 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 really nice people will probably never reach the top of what they want to achieve. Those that have a little bit of spite about them, but can balance that with being nice people and they can do that in the right environments will probably do the best. That's, That's what I'm in saying. In a nutshell, what I'm trying to say, just you, you articulated it a lot better. I usually short circuit before them with Andy and throw things. <laughs> um, but yeah, shout out Andy Purewell, boxing. So Andy Purewell for boxing social. He um, did the Lewis Ritson one. That's he fantastic. did the Ritson one, which is an excellent, excellent interview. Also did the uh, Eddie Hearn interview a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was very, very good. That was at the White Chisora 2 um, press conference. Thought Eddie was great in that as well. But Shout out Andy Purewell. Yeah, that Ritson one was brilliant. Yeah, really, really, really good. Um, and if you're listening to this, if you're fucking still listening to this, you must have nothing else to do. But um, listen out for Andy Purewell. Show him some love. Show him some support. He's going to be doing big things in the future. If he survives me. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Rob Tebbett. So that's pretty simple. Straightforward. Yeah. Uh, follow Rob. And there is nothing, I don't think anything else to say. I'm hoping Boxing Social push this, like when it comes out. <laughs> I will I will throw a retweet from the Boxing Social. No, sure no, no, I want to tweet. This. I want to, it has to be organic. Okay. I'm not sure they're going to endorse this. Like the, the wow. bosses, bosses. I don't, no, but I don't think there's anything hostile in this. <laughs> nah, it's all good. It's nothing, on nothing hostile from me, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, every man from the Yeah, we edited all that out, didn't we, mate? Um, oh, yeah, cheers. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, thank you. Hopefully you've enjoyed this slightly different one. Yeah. It's been great having Rob. Thank you, Rob. And uh, thanks for having me. Three hours and 20, 20 minutes. I mean, normally it's a name dribble. We managed to have three hours and 20 minutes of, well, three quarters a name dribble and then actually some but decent stuff. Thing I've got one thing to well. add. It's still I going. I want to quickly say before you do, like, genuine thanks to Rob because he's just yeah. explained his 16 oh, hour yeah. days. He's just explained his six, seven day a week. So for him to come from Manchester where he's done fuck knows how many hours over the course of a weekend when I've done nothing really of any great note, to then come straight to the train station. I've picked him up and dragged him straight here. Like that, uh, <laughs> and then thing. sat there for three hours <laughs> listening to our shit. shit. So, Listen yeah. to me Genuinely. slag off Tony Bell. <laughs> so so here, here's what I do want to say. Now, I want to say a big shout out to Andre Sterling. Now, <laughs> no, no. Look, Andre boxed. I was going to say thanks to Rob. 
No, no. So no, it's okay, Terry. You tell your piece. No, Andre boxed last Saturday for the Southern Area title against Kurt Garvey. And Shout won. out Showtime Sterling. Yeah. Now, he came back to the gym on Thursday, brings his Southern Area belt, gets there for about quarter to seven, stays till the end. There's nothing for him to do there. He's a pro now, but just stayed in the gym, just watching the youngsters, helping out where he could. And he gave a fantastic speech. I shared two minutes of it on my Twitter page. But there's about six minutes of it. And Andre talks about his life. So I've known Andre since he stepped through the, the doors. And I know that he'd battled a... for you know you, When you live in South London, that's your tension. It's the street life's calling because your mates are making money versus can you be disciplined enough to box at a high level? And he was always wrestling with those. And he was just talking the kids through all of this. And you're hearing the story and, you know, how he fell out of love with it, fell back in love, dedicated himself, put hands on Danny Dignam and all this sort of stuff. And like when you coach and when you do this for free because you love the sport, those moments there, when someone comes back and speaks from the heart and you think it's a privilege to know someone like that. And he will never know the impact that has on all the young guys working their way up. So now just a big shout out to Andre for for doing the right thing. And, you know, not every fighter does that because once they leave, they think they don't have anything to say. But look, people sacrifice their time for free in the hope that you go on and do something with your life and you can be the best person you can. It's always good to show thanks to those people. Good man. Right, that really is it. Thank you very much. I had a bit of caution in my voice when we were talking earlier because I knew I was going to get in any other business regardless of whether I wanted it or not. So (laughs) Terry's done that now. Just one more... No, not from you. That doesn't work. I need to go. Thank you once again, Rob, for your time. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. I think we will.